This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program, folks, to give you the information, the tools you need to lead your life. You know, it's hard enough to just survive on this crazy ball of mud. But uh, now, you know, you need the tools, the information. What are you supposed to do today? We don't just give you the news. We actually uh, take many of the stories deeper and uh, hopefully give you some takeaways that you can go home and immediately start using in your life. Top of the morning to you. Here's the great news, folks. Ah, the great news. Donald Trump is no longer the iconic, uh, what, monolith. He now has help. I came in like a Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin is on staff, I guess. Now she's given, she's basically said he's my guy. He is my guy. Only one candidate's record of success proves he is the master of the art of the deal. He is beholden to no one but we, the people. How refreshing. He is perfectly positioned to let you make America great again. Are you ready for that, Iowa? You know what's great? She She's even pitching his book. Yes. I mean, so it's great for Donald on both angles. Yeah. He could win the presidency. Book sales. And- and the presidency. It's really there were several parts uh, parts of that that I uh, chose not to cut just because no. it got really. She was excited, loud, and but she's like he see he's she's got a point. He's not beholden to anybody but himself. Watch this play play clip three. He is from the private sector, not a politician. Can I get a hallelujah? Oh wow! Where in the private sector you actually have to balance budgets? In order to prioritize, to keep the main thing the main thing. And he knows the main thing. A president is to keep us safe economically and militarily. Militarily safe? Like, yeah. You mean she might, like, well, yeah. she kept saying the, the main you thing. Grow the military. And it almost sounded at one point when she kept saying, he's the main thing, and he talks about the main thing. Yeah. And she kind of lost herself there in the yeah, whole She was main close. Th- um, you know what's great? This does, this is good news for NBC. Even though they lost the debate, oh yeah, Saturday Night Live is going to kill it. They've already brought her back once. Yeah, this will they, be may, they may have to bring uh, uh, Tina Fey back again to do but that. But you can see she's. The, this is the point. He's going to balance budgets. This guy's lived in the real world. He's going to balance the budget. Sure. What do you mean, sure? That sounded cynical. Well, it is because when you own your own business, you don't need to check with an, an entire body of people who may be against you. Politically, yeah, that's true. To to get something balanced, you but he's been it. able to keep his companies running. I mean, sure, a couple of chapter Three. nine, a- and that's that just, that's just a, a function of business. Well, you got it's fine. It's not. No, it, I find it interesting that uh, people think that he's just going to go in and push people around and get things accomplished. Yeah, and it's like, well, people don't. Washington is broken. He's not going in and fixing it with just being more right. blunt. That that doesn't work. So, but I think this is the deal. Is uh, and, and there's another story in C- on CNN that just I think clarifies what's happening here, because it's never just as easy as he owns his own business. He's not taking money to, you know, from from big organizations and companies. He's here's the problem. 
According to a report on CNN um, politics, it says that 10 percent of college graduates think that Judge Judy is on the Supreme Court. So Judge Ten, Joe Brown, right? Yeah. he's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was the first African-American on the Supreme Court. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they, they think Judge Judy's on the Supreme Court. So if they think Judge Judy's on the Supreme Court, then Donald Trump could easily be the president. If, in their eyes. If that's a level of the informed voter. He has a helicopter. There's another – in that same poll or polling data where they found that 10 percent and Judge Judy, they also found that over half the population can't tell you how long a term of office is for a representative, a senator. Mm-hmm. Some of them question how long the president is supposed to be in office. See, so this, this is a big deal. It's more just I think people don't pay attention and don't really care that much, but they do have a vote. That's the that's the rub, and that's what you're talking about. Is that that's how maybe Trump gets in, and there's some people that uh, again, will see some of the things he does if, and like it that way. I would love Trump a lot if he wasn't so offensive. You don't have to destroy people and think extreme. Even though you do have friends that buy your apartments, you can't be but, racist. But that's being against tough. It. That's being tough, Matt. Well, you're it missing is. it. It's I tough. Know. I it's guess toughness. it's tough, but it, it also kind of just it just seems to have a hint of. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Racism. Um, But here's the deal. You're also hearing out of Flint, Michigan, and the water situation uh, in Flint where there's too much lead in the water and kids are getting Legionnaire's disease and sick. And the the governor there came right out, um, Governor Rick Snyder, Republican, uh, Hillary's pointed out, um, has come right out. He apologized in the State of the Union. He's got to fix it. He he made a mess. He he, – but – Really, I guess the issue is he appointed somebody that was in charge of that. Yeah, so that his connection was there is a city official in Flint that was appointed by the governor, and he uh, that person was involved with or made the decision, and so that's how the governor's tied to it. Yeah. So they they obviously it needs to be fixed. They've been really slow in addressing the problem, and Appar- people are angry. Apparently, the the EPA federal level, the EPA had the documents showing that they knew the water was polluted, but the EPA never mentioned it. And so there's kind of a federal tie, too, here. But uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to run an interview that I just did recently with Utah's governor, Gary R. Herbert, and his wife, Jeanette Herbert. It's a hard job to be governor. So Rick Snyder's getting the the crud beat out of him now in Michigan. But we're going to be playing this interview with Governor Gary R. Herbert up next, just so you can hear the behind the scenes of what goes on with being a governor, how it impacts your family, your marriage, your life fascinating interview, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, you know, people are running for office all over the place, and what could be harder than to to have to be a politician and, and literally everyone, you know, it seems like such a popular, wonderful job. Uh, but joining us uh, via an interview that I just recently did with governor of the state of Utah, Gary R. Herbert, and his wife, Jeanette Herbert, we get a chance to see behind the scenes what goes on really in the life of a governor and his family and, and the decisions that have to be made. Um, and I started the interview like this. Here's the question I asked. Utah has a strong economy and is mentioned routinely as a good environment for job creation, what are you doing as governor to allow uh, for the state's successful economy? 
Well, we're doing a lot of stuff right. We have good policies in place, and we have good principles that guide us. And we have good people to work with. It's, uh, you know, Utah is blessed with a lot of really wonderful people. And uh, uh, we just passed the 3 million population wow. mark. And so a tribute to the people. We have an entrepreneurial spirit here. So our business sector is growing re- remarkably well. We're the most healthy economy in America today. We've diversified. We're about the fourth most diverse economy. And Forbes just named us again for the fifth time in six years, the best place for business. Now, why? Why is I mean, it's Utah, Governor. It's not. We're not talking Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's the question people ask because it is surprising that why Utah? And again, we start with good people, but we have a very business-friendly environment. We've cut taxes. We've flattened the rate. Uh, we have business regulation reform, so we don't have onerous regulations. We follow the mantra of keep government off your back and out of your wallets. Yeah. And that allows the entrepreneur and the private sector to flourish. Uh, we have a good legislature that has conservative principles. We don't spend more than we take in. Uh, we don't have unnecessary debt. We save for a rainy day. We have a large rainy day fund, which most states do not have. And we're one of only 10 states now that have a AAA bond rating from wow. all the rating agencies in, in, on Wall Street. So, again, we are a very good environment. We have efficiency in state government. We have fewer state employees, for example, in Utah than we did back in the year 2002. Wow. Oh, so you're actually, yeah, you're, yeah. you're trimming, you're making it healthier. Yeah, we're doing more with less. Yeah. We've embraced technology. We have better processes. We're reforming. And we still have a goal right now. Even though we've been listed as one of the best managed, if not the best managed states in America, we're trying to find ways to do it even better. And we have a goal of increased efficiency 25% by the end of 2016. So we're really pushing uh, our our staff and our employees and our department heads to do even better in respecting the taxpayers' dollars. That environment provides a very good field for economic growth. I mean, so there's do other states, because you hear of states that are succeeding like this, and it seems like all the states should be paying attention. Well, states are. Do they come visit you? Do they They, find out? They do. We had one fellow who was running for governor. Uh, of a state that was not performing very well, came, took our 10-point economic development plan, incorporated that into his own campaign for governor, got elected, and has worked over the last four years to turn that state around. It's gone from the bottom of the pack to the middle of the pack. So the principles we have here will work for any state. It's not a zero-sum game. Free market capitalism is designed to grow and expand and improve. And uh, we're proving that point. And other states, in fact, are, in fact, Copying They're what coming we're to doing. find out what's in this. What's in the special sauce? Yesterday, both of you uh, had a special visitor from Ohio. John Kasich was in town, presidential candidate. He came, and what, where did you 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 took him, um, Mrs. Herbert? Where where did you end up going with, and why was he in town? Uh, he he just stopped. They had their debate in in Las Vegas, and uh, so they just made a, a quick stop here after they went to Vegas before he flew on to his next event. But. Yeah. Um, you know they they like to visit all the states and 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 you guys seem close. But, I mean, it's, it, is it, you, I guess once once you're in the governor's club and the first lady's club, it's it's really interesting. You know, we have conferences a few times a year, and you really get to know all the governors and the governor's spouses. The spouses have kind of their own organization that we work with, and and so you do get really close with them. They're yeah. they're really, you know, it's surprising. I think because it's it's a little bit more. Um, I mean, as far as getting along, I think the governors. They all want the same thing for their states, you know, and they have to have balanced budgets. And so they don't have quite the division that they have back in D.C. Yeah. 
And so they're a lot more functional, I think. <laughs> is there seems like there's something to that. And help me clue me in on the political side of this, because the governors, they, they seem to be able to talk. Yeah, we're a lot more collegial. And again, so your listeners understand, Governor John Kasich from Ohio is running for president, one of the right. many out there. And uh, we get to know each other in our conferences. Uh, the good news for us all is that we share best practices you know, states are the laboratories of democracy, laboratories of innovation. We're little pilot programs always constantly being run out there and trying out new ideas, new, uh, new, new ways of doing things, as opposed to Washington, D.C., which has a one-size-fits-all mentality. And it works for maybe a few, but not for the many. So states, we share best practices. And after we do that, we go back to our own domain, go mm. back to our own states, so we're not trying to play king of the hill yeah. in Washington, D.C., where everybody's trying to climb up the same hill. We all have 50 different hills to climb up and to work with our own respective states. Are you surprised that the governors in in the presidential races aren't getting more grab, more traction? Like Governor Christie, uh, Governor Kasich, they're not they, – they, they don't seem it's, – it's kind of anti-incumbent, it almost it seems like. Something's not – yeah, I, it's a little surprising because I do believe that the governors have the best experience to become the president. They've already done it in a smaller scale, the executive branch responsibilities. They know how to work with legislators. They know how to be bipartisan, bring people together to get things done. They have to execute. They have to accomplish something. Legislators, on the other hand, do not and yeah. don't. And uh, the dysfunctionality in Washington, D.C., I think, is part of – the mentality of the public today. And so they're looking for kind of an outsider. And I think that's why you see some appeal with a Donald Trump, uh, Carly Fiorina, uh, Ben Carson, outsiders who say, well, I'll come outside in and fix things. The problem I got there is they don't have the experience necessary to know how to fix it. So I'm partial to governors. It's probably no surprise. Yeah, you should be. As a governor and the public at large. I mean, you go back over the last, you know, 30 years and the majority of the ones we've elected have been previous governors. Man, and it's got to be weird to even think you are the governor. Like, (laughs) and we talked about this, not that you aren't capable of it, but all of a sudden – you you're you were the lieutenant governor for um John for Huntsman. Uh, governor John Huntsman. Governor, governor John Huntsman for four and a half years and it's an improbable journey. I think Jeanette and I will both understand that, you know, it's nothing that we ever aspired to. Yeah. It somehow just happened. Uh <laughs> you know, just trying to be people involved and, and giving back to the community. Our our parents uh were all Good service people worked on their chambers of commerce and and uh, worked to make their communities better. So we we had good teaching from our parents, but uh, it's been a very improbable journey, and we would have never believed this to have happened uh, when we were first married. Uh, what, so, what's it like being married to the governor? I mean, that Jeanette's got to be enough to. You're like, hey, you're making dinner tonight. <laughs> don't keep i'm not your servant i mean because you, you were a, you were just a healthy family you had your own uh daycare company your own daycare practice and the the governor i mean you you were just working your way up doing civil work and then all of a sudden you become a lieutenant governor then then governor when um, john huntsman became mm-hmm. a secretary of 
It, it wasn't or, uh, all of a sudden. It's wasn't not it? all of a sudden. It's, uh, you know, life happens. Yeah. You know, from the time we were married and we had a good real estate business that we were doing and that made sense for a while. But during the 80s, uh, your listeners probably can't remember. Yeah, but right. During the 80s, uh, we had interest rates became really high, 16 to 16.5% mortgage money. Today, we're arguing about 4%. Yeah. And prime rate was at 22%. And so, you know, times were tough. And it was uh, we had buyers who wanted to buy and sellers who wanted to sell, but no mechanism to make a deal. And so my real estate brokerage suffered. Jeanette then got involved in the daycare businesses. We had to find an alternative way right. to survive. And then I got so angry, I decided to run for office. <laughs> and I'd been involved in politics, but never run for office. And so... I decided my big foray into politics, I ran for the city council of my hometown. Right. And there was 13 people that ran, and I lost by 36 votes. Oh. So I, that was the end of my political career, I thought. Yeah, you thought, I'm done. I'm not doing yeah, that I'm again. Done, I'm done with that, and that was okay with me. I'd never aspired to that, and I got my message out there. But I had some people that liked what I'd said, and so they encouraged me to run for county commissioner. Mm. And uh, so Utah County here, and uh, that was a little bigger responsibility. And and I, 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 12 people ran that time, and I won. Yes. And so I got selected as the new Utah County Commissioner and spent 14 years and really enjoyed doing that and got more out of real estate, or left kind of the real estate yeah. business and more into politics, which cost me a little bit of money, but I really enjoyed the work. And, and you were good at it, and that's where you, you – because isn't it just networking? It's meeting people. It's serving. It's getting stuff done. It's pushing where you can. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard job. You know, you can you never please everybody. There's always somebody angry, and I've got developed the adage that in politics, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate, and you know you don't have to irritate somebody <laughs> one time to have them really be angry right. at you. And so it's it's a unique kind of profession. I'm glad that there are good people uh, out there that do it. We need to have good people step up and, and say, "Choose me and run for elected office." And in Utah, we have, by and large, really great people that have been elected to office representing the will of the people and, and uh, stand for those principles and values that we here in Utah uh, sustain. So, so back to my question. <laughs> yeah. Back to you, Mrs. Herbert. Yes. Uh, pardon me. Because <laughs> you're sitting there. You ran daycare. And what's interesting now, you have a platform. You can do whatever you want as the first lady, really. You have a little more leverage. A little. You have a, a team that can help you now. And you're choosing to go work with families in your Uplift Families program. Does that come from your, your daycare job? You know, it or? actually does. When I had my child care center, um, you see all different type of family dynamics in there. And some of them that worked really well and some that didn't work quite as well. And yeah. I would have parents come in to me and want advice on, you know, I'm struggling with this child. You know, what can I do? And I can remember thinking at the time, I wish we had like a mandatory parenting class in the high schools because it just seemed like parents needed additional instruction. Some of them, uh, you know, we kind of go into this without any instruction, without any yeah. manual of any kind. And it's I think especially in today's day, you know, with, with all the stresses that we have socially and everything with kids, that parents have to be extra vigilant. And so to learn a little bit ahead of time, to take classes, to take some instruction, kind of find a, the That's you such know, a valuable resource. best way to do things, better way to do things. There's not a perfect program right. and not perfect parents, but there's certainly things that we can do to make things a lot easier on the parents and the children in the home. And, and you're speaking with knowledge. You have six children and 16 grandchildren. Any great-grands yet? 
Oh, no. No, not you're not yet. that old. Come on. <laughs> but isn't it um, – and I saw this, I, and I saw your family, and I met a lot of your family at, at the Uplift uh, Families event. It's There's just something powerful that I think we underestimate about the power of healthy families. It's like we, we're not – it's not an asset or a resource that we hold up and esteem usually as highly as maybe we should. Well, when they say – when they make the statement that the family is the cornerstone of society – when you look at, at what happens inside the family, you know, that's where they learn those early lessons. That's where they're taught the value system. They, they learn different values. They learn how to get along. They learn how to cooperate. They learn how to work. You know, all those lessons that can be taught are what are going to be going out into the society after and making a, a real strong, you know, viable society. And so that's really why it's so important that the families learn how to work, learn yeah. how to function inside that family so that we as a whole as a society – you know, and, and you teach your principles and your work ethic. You teach. You can do. You can do both, um, which is which is one reason I wanted you on the show. And on the show, we'll 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 talk a little more politics. But I really like to just understand and learn what's going on. Not in your. I don't want the nitty gritty details. But you're just normal folk. But you're you're the governor and the first lady of a thriving state, trying to be grandparents, trying to keep it all together. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. When we come back, Governor, I want to talk about a decision you made um, about the refugees from Syria, which seemed like an interesting decision politically, but it seems also like a perfect mix of policy and just principles. You got to live the principle. Um, I want to hear about that. Also, want to? I'm going to find out. I'm dying to know where you two met and your first date. We'll get into that. <laughs> do you remember, Governor? Okay. I'll never forget. It's an interesting story, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll take a break. We'll be right back, folks. Stick with us. We're 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 learning the uh, the heart and the hopes of uh, the first the first couple, and actually the first family of the state of Utah, Governor Gary and Mrs. Jeanette Herbert. We appreciate it. We'll be we appreciate you being here. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, I feel blessed today to have such great guests with us. Joining us today, Governor Gary Herbert and uh, the First Lady of the State of Utah, Mrs. Jeanette Herbert. Um, Appreciate you. Good people, but great leaders. And I'm honored to have you on the show. But one of the things I, I like to tell more about the human side than just get into being a policy wonk. Okay, I don't want to go there, Governor. Okay. But... Uh, you, your wife just – I think she has a really powerful uh, view, and I've seen it in two or three different speeches that I've been around when she was when she was talking about families and the power of families and farming families. It was another event we went to. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she cares about family, and she started this program, Uplift Families, to educate, to teach the skills. But why does that matter, and what do you think of the work she's doing? Well, let me just tell you, as somebody who's known her – well, for about 46 years, married for 45. Um, she's a great wife. She's been a great mother. And she's an all-world 
grandmother. I mean, there's, oh my yeah, gosh. Like not all American, it's, not all she, state. She's all world. Yeah. And uh, she understands the importance of family and taking time with kids and raising them properly and teaching them good values and principles. And uh, she does a great job in our own family. And she recognizes the need that we have in society to uh, under, understand the importance of veneration of the family. And so, as she mentioned, you know, the, the kids don't come with any instruction sheet right. on how to raise them. And our six kids all were different and all had unique needs and uh, needed to be treated differently. And what she's doing to help us with parenting skills and, and uh, focusing on the importance of families is an important thing for me in politics because most of society's ills uh, you can find originate from broken families and bad parenting and not teaching our young people, the rising generation, what their responsibilities are and how they should interact with other their neighbors and other people. And and so when we have this breakdown of the family, we find illegitimacy goes up. We find uh, substance abuse, drug use, uh, uh, criminal effect, gang involvement, mm. uh, alcohol abuse. I mean, all those things that create a cost for us as taxpayers because of the problems really are headquartered in just dysfunctional families. Yeah. And so what she's doing is in, uh, incredibly important. And I hope people grasp that across the country. We've got to get back to understanding that the the foundation, the, the cornerstone of a, a great society is great families. We had uh, Governor Levitt on. Um, who also became Secretary of Health and Human Services under the Bush administration, but he was the governor of the state of Utah. And really, one of the greatest memories I had was that his wife had started that the the marriage initiative here in Utah to strengthen and embolden marriage. Actually, I guess to venerate and to to elevate the the, the status of marriage. So now, and then when they when they went away, that kind of faded out. And then to see that the family's now coming back top of mind, it really is. It's 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 the key of where the principles are taught. And you guys married forty five plus years, is that right? Yep. Forty five <laughs> wonderful years. Peaceful, wanna, loving peace, No years. conflict, well, no problem, 40. no challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Forty out 40 of 40, were really forty good. out of forty five is not bad. <laughs> the old joke. That's <laughs> such a great joke though. Um and then but then six kids, that's a big deal. I have six, but you know, it feels like twelve. <laughs> it's it's there. It's hard. Um, talk to us about how you met, and uh, I mean, just your first date. What, <laughs> did somebody have to coerce the other? Was it a sales job, Governor? Did you have to talk her into this? I I always felt like it was a sales job, and <laughs> I did my best selling. She, did she feel? Did you feel bait and switched? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you the story, and then you can. But yeah. he. Uh, I worked at a bank in Orem part-time while I was going to college. And um, I was there, and I was the drive-up window teller. And so my back was always to everyone else that was yeah. inside the bank. And he, I worked with one of his really good friends from high school. And so he had come into the bank to make a deposit, had seen me across the room and asked well, Jackie. Well, I saw the back of you. Saw the, yeah. I saw the back and the front oh, you, and the side. You, you just I, kept, she you were turned gawking. around, so I was paying <laughs> rapt attention. And, That's great. And she was just a knockout babe. That's great. That's all I can say. <laughs> so he said, he asked, you know, who I was, and he says, well, can line me up with her? Yeah. And so she said, okay, well, I'll talk to her. Well, she came over to my window, and she said, did you see that? guy I was just talking to and I hadn't yeah. and just then his car was pulling out of the parking lot 
What was he driving? Do you remember? Okay, this is what was funny is he was driving a brand new GTO, which was kind of the hot car at the time. He was showy. I could not see him at all. I could just see the car. And I says, well, is that his car? And she says, well, yes, I think so. And I says, well, I'll go out with him then. <laughs> <laughs> He's got great taste. Well, yes. you find out. So, so we, you know, we go out on a, a really a blind date. Yeah. And I mean, this is how he was such so suave. Yeah. We get in the car. He kind of tosses me a paper and he says, here, pick out a movie. <laughs> yeah, we got we go to the movie. We talked about. Well, I called her up to kind of. To make sure we had the date was yeah. on, and I said, "We'll go to the movies." So I thought I'd be a gentleman. You picked the movie. <laughs> you picked the and movie. You picked the movie. You want to go? Here's the here's the oh, selection. Governor. It so, wasn't the smoothest first no. date. I, you know, he's lucky you he got a you second You could have at least pretended like you. <laughs> had but she planned liked it. my uh, my 1968 GTO. That so was she amazing. Was, she was happy. Other than so we we dated for <laughs> a while, maybe a month or Three so. Three or four months. And uh, he. Uh, I all of a sudden find out that this wasn't really his car. It was his uncle's he car. He stole it. His uncle was done. I was tending the car. I was tending the car. And let him babysit the car. Oh, neat. He had never told me that part yeah. until I was kind See, of See, that's the bait and, and switch. That, that was, was the, the bait, bait and switch. switch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, he did pull bait and switch well, for me. Well, it turned out okay, right? And then, yeah. then you got married. You have six kids, three and three. Which is yeah. amazing. It kept the balance of power. Yeah. yeah. And I've met a lot of them, and they're talented. And you notice they're diverse, too. Right? I mean, right? They have different, like a lot of families keep them in the same realm. They all, they all like the right, same yeah. thing. But yours is a diverse group and, and healthy group. What's it like being governor and grandparent? You know, I can tell you that my more important responsibility is husband, father, grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be keep up with Jeanette on the grandfather side yeah, of things. Hard? And uh, we live for Sundays, frankly, because we get together as a family every Sunday. And it's an opportunity for us to go to church and kind of, uh, you know, get away from the responsibilities and the trappings of governor and first lady. And at our LDS ward where we go to church, we uh, are just... You know, brother and sister Herbert or Gary mm. or Jeanette or hey you and it, you go to the you go you're not just living in the mansion you kind of live in the mansion during the week but on the weekend you go back to your old normal life that's right, that's right. Yeah. go back to our home in Orem and uh, just normal folks and that's great we're just normal folks anyway I mean we yeah. go shopping at Smith's and grocery store and we walk the malls and do our Christmas shopping and we're we're just about as typical as you can be here in Utah. And, is is it hard though? Does it? I mean, it seems like, and this is Herbert. You'd, it'd be easy to get sucked into the politics, and sometimes you see some of these politicians lose themselves. Is it is it hard to not just get pulled into it all? Well, it's interesting when we first when we first got that call from John Huntsman saying he was going to take the job as the ambassador of China. You know, we it was it was really quite emotional for us because yeah. we knew that he was planning on running for governor. When Huntsman left office, but all of a sudden it's just dropped it's in now. your lap. Yeah, and, you're in it. You know, you don't have time to really go through the preparation mentally, and so it was it was really a surreal uh, feeling. But that Sunday, as our family came over, then they called the little council yeah. and uh, they sat down and kind of laid down the rules, and you know, basically said, <laughs> you know, you are going to be a better governor if you keep a balanced life, and. Uh, we're really close as a family, and so we expect you to, you know, still do things as a family. Like you'll babysit. We need you babysitting oh, yeah. twice a week. Oh yeah, <laughs> not quite to that. Well, that's degree, actually but, beautiful because it was a but, family. 
It really decision. was. It was, you know, and they and they said, we'll hold your feet to the fire. We yeah. want you to be honest. We expect you to, you know, and they just kind of went down this list, and uh, they do. And, I mean, we're, um, we do. We spend a lot of time together. We we try to include them when we have events, you know, like if we're going to a rodeo yeah. or something, and, and so who wants to come to the rodeo with us? And so we try to do that because we are very busy, and you can really get, you know, I know just – the requests I get every week, his are about oh, five times I, I get about 10 or 15 requests a day to be somewhere Dude, to do really? something. And so you could get all consumed in mm-hmm. it. But, again, we live for Sundays. Uh, I know we try to calendar t- together. She has a, a, a personal assistant, as do I, and we share those calendars. And so we take time to go to our grandkids' ball games and dance recitals and piano recitals and concerts. And so we try to be the typical grandparents. And, uh, and we do a lot of that because they we actually have our kids have learned to call our schedulers, yeah. so it's on the and schedule. And get things on no, the schedule before anything else. Right. And so, it, you know, when we go through our schedule, and we look at that and say, "Oh yes, that's you know, well, we can we cannot do this event." Well, in- we'll instead of just saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, it wasn't on my," I didn't know. Sorry, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Your kids are proactively, which is their responsibility of which having kind you of in insult- this role. It was insulting to them at first. Yeah, we said, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> you know, and I can remember feeling the same about him when he first told me yeah. when he was talk lieutenant my, governor. Talk, you got to talk you know, to Fran. It's like I'm talking Fran to the you. Scheduler. <laughs> yeah. but, Fran the scheduler. Fran the scheduler, by the way. But no, but so that's that's really helped with doing that. But yeah, we do try to on Saturdays get to their ball games and mm-hmm. dance recitals and things like that. You know, and, and even during the week. So, and Jeanette's yeah. been really good at that. It's sometimes we have to divide and yeah. conquer. And, uh, you know, whether there's somebody speaking in church, or we sometimes, because we have enough kids and grandkids, that they we might have uh, comp- competing speeches. You <laughs> oh, know, yeah, you can divide it up. Meetings. And so we go to one, I go to one, and Jeanette goes to the other. That's and great. so we kind of divide it up. But the it's, thing that people our, probably our, don't understand, we've got six children, and they all live within 15 minutes of our oh, home. Oh, wow. So we so made that there's a real demand. Yeah. We made that a real. You couldn't marry our children and move. Yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> move away. <laughs> so, I'm going to be the governor someday. But, but <laughs> our family, I can tell you, Matt, the family keeps us grounded. That's great. And uh, because that is our number one priority, and uh, they're proud of us and what we do. But they understand that the first responsibility is is their parents and grandparents. And uh, but I can see it too, and I can see it's almost like you're not taking this as a right that you should be the governor and the first lady. It's almost like a stewardship. You have a you have a, almost a spiritual kind of need to be serving. And I saw that during your event, the Uplift Families, is when there was a tragic um, flood in southern Utah, and a, a family, a bunch of people were swept away in the river. Yes, and I remember talking to you there, and I saw you—you you were impacted profoundly by having heard that. And I think you had just visited there. We met with the families down in Hilldale, and and again, not without controversy, a lot of uh, polygamous families are right. down there. But they're human beings, and they have feelings, and they love their children, and and it was just a tragedy. And and uh, to go down any any human being that has tragedy, you should feel for, and your heart should break for them, and then uh, that should turn into action. What can we do to help? Yeah. And that's what good neighbors are about. And I think that's what the Savior tried to teach us is, you know, we need to look ways to serve our fellow man. And in serving our fellow man, we serve him. And so we have difficulties. I'm, you have that a lot. I mean, lot. you'll have a soldier that they bring home from the war. And I mean, is and I guess do you share that together? I mean, you'll then we have to console each other and lift each other and the state. Well, we usually attend the funerals together, and and you know those are really you know they're they're really touching and. And uh, people appreciate the fact that the governor 
cares. He'll call them up after he finds up and talk to him, you know, personally on the phone. Yeah. And uh, they really, it means so much to them to know that, that he would take time out of his schedule to do that. And But it's important, you know, I mean, this is these are losses that are just really... Uh, heart wrenching and that no parent wants to go yeah. through and and so and instead we kind of then we hear the news and we kind of just hear the hype of it or the politicization of it or the gun control of it it's a there's just the tender heart of mm-hmm. of leaders serving people that need love it's, it's some of the hardest things i do and i've been invited to to not only uh, attend but sometimes to speak uh, and that's uh, always a challenge yeah. and it's an opportunity and i'm grateful but uh Again, it brings us closer together. I, I think there's a reason why we have adversity in life. We learn from those uh, challenging th- times. We develop better sensitivities and love for each other and helps bring us together. Yeah. So Heavenly Father knows what he's doing when it comes to <laughs> those challenges of life, he which totally make does. us more what I'd call Christ-like. Well, and um, I saw it again with the whole Syrian refugee situation where, you know, these Syrians are displaced. They need to go somewhere. Many states were like, not in my state, not in my state. And you heard a lot of states rejecting it, which could maybe be a traditional, fearful, uh, conservative state saying that. But one of the most conservative states of Utah, led by you, Governor Herbert, you said, we'll let him, we'll bring him in. Well, I understand that the first and primary role of government is one of keeping us safe. And it shouldn't be a partisan issue. Yeah. You know, public safety is uh, is really the role of government. And the federal government has a role to keep our borders uh, secure and, and safe. And that's been tested in court. So we know what the responsibility of the federal government is. Uh, with the refugee issue, there is a concern that we've had some rhetoric about, let's just keep people from a certain religion, the Muslim right. religion, out. Right. Uh, nobody wants to import terrorists. Right. You know, we want to screen the terrorists out, but we ought not to be screening people based on their religion. That's really anti-American. It's not what this country was founded on. And Utah is a state that probably appreciates that issue more than most because Mormons were discriminated against in the early days of their history. In fact, in 1879, then President Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, through his uh, Secretary of State, said to Europe, quit sending us Mormons. Stop oh. the immigration of Mormons to, to the United States of America. Keep them in Europe. And, you know, he was ridiculed because of uh, right. on a basis of religion. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, but we actually had a, a state and a governor that had what was called the extermination order. They right. said to kill Mormons. So we're probably a little more sympathetic to discrimination based on religious belief than some. And, uh, again, I'm all for let's make sure we have a heightened scrutiny. Uh, I'm working through the National Governors Association, of which I'm the chair, with the White House to make sure that the federal government is doing their part. And here in Utah, we're putting an additional layer of scrutiny with uh, some people that are designed to welcome refugees from Syria or from any other country that comes here. Uh, There's a lot of ways to get into our country, but we want to welcome them. Uh, invite them to to integrate, to help them uh, so they don't have any uh, hate crimes or anybody giving them trouble and help them assimilate, learn skills. And our refugee program in Utah is really outstandingly good. Uh, um, Thurl Bailey, the former Utah Jazz great, is the ambassador for me for our refugee program. And we, we just need to keep this in the bounds of common sense 
which I think sometimes with political ideology and political rhetoric, we the first casualty is common sense. We in Utah are taking a very common sense approach to right. refugees. What do you see? Um, one of the things I'm seeing, it seems like this year there's been more tension you know, with with uh, the gay marriage initiative, with what was going on in Ferguson, with what's going on with the rhetoric coming from the political campaigns, it seems like t- tolerance and acceptance of un- and understanding and caring have gone away, um, or or are there, we're struggling with it. So, what would you say, uh, Mrs. Herbert, when you think about parents? What could we be doing as parents to create a more tolerant? unit, a family, and a more tolerant community, and a more tolerant tolerant government of others' ideas. Well, and I think you see a lot of anti-bullying campaigns that right. go on now, which I support. You know, uh, we have groups that, that we support together with, with my initiative and, and theirs. And um, we, as parents, or again, it starts in the home. You know, we teach our kids kindness. We teach them acceptance. We teach them, you know, not to judge people. Um, that all has to come from the home. That's where right. they're going to be taught those principles. And then, you know, making sure that, you know, when you go to school, how is he being in class? Is he being nice to other kids? Following up on that. You know, parents need to be retroactive about certain things with their kids, not just taking their word for things, but, you know, actually looking into that type of situation. Uh, the social media, there again, parents need to make sure that their kids aren't involved in bullying on social media. So much comes back to the parents and comes back to the home yeah. of teaching those principles and living them uh, and, yeah. and living the principles and being the example. And that's the other thing. Parents have to be the number one example for their kids. And so you can't, you know, you, you can't be telling them one thing and doing another. And so it, it's really important. I think if we did more of that and the parents yeah. were more vigilant in that, that we would have a lot more tolerance and everything. But, I, you know, it's just the society today, it really has become so divided. You know, the racial things seem to be getting wider rather than closer right. together. Um it's it's really unfortunate. It's really a sad thing because, you know, it it was interesting. My son went on a cruise. This is just an example. And on this cruise that they had, it was for his business, but they had people from all over. They had people that worked there from oh, every yeah. country, from all over the world. And the last day of the cruise, then they had a, this program, but they brought all of them up on the stage you know, and they said, look at us. This we are a, from every different thing. That's powerful. We are the best of friends. We love each other. We get along. We have no problems. And yet we're from every different background, society, right. everything. But this shows you what can happen when you bring people together. We learn to, you know, when you learn what they're about, when you get to know someone, then they become friends. Oh, yeah. And that's just a lot of it. You know, we've got to... We can't just shut people out. No. We've got to include them. And understand them better. And, and exactly. then you can appreciate them. Yeah. It's powerful. You know, I, I think our parents taught us this and our church teaches this, that uh, the fatherhood of God. And most everybody who believes in a religion, has a religious persuasion, believes in, in a heavenly father, a God who were his children. And if we believe that God is our father, that means the rest of us are all brothers and sisters. So the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man— if we understood that, we would live and treat each other a lot better. Mm-hmm. And that's a principle that we believe, and uh, I think most people in America and around the world actually believe that too. So we need to foster that in our schools. It doesn't have to be a, a specific denomination, but we ought to treat each other like we're brothers and sisters. We're part of humanity here. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the color of our skin is or what our ethnicity is or 
our religious persuasion, or our politics, we ought to treat each other with respect and love and kindness. And the world can be a better place if we'll do that. Start with ourselves. We need to change ourselves, become what we want the world to become. If we start there first, the world will become better. Mm. That's it. What else do you need? (laughs) Right? I mean, it really is. And And it's that simple. And uh, well, we'll just end it on that. I, I honor you. It's it's great to have you as our first family because you live it. You walk the talk, and no one's perfect, and you probably would hate to Other be held Jeanette. up. As, well, Jeanette, uh, Jeanette is. is perfect. No, duh. Yeah, Jeanette's but, uh, like, uh, yeah, I've got she's a, I'm room it. for improvement, but uh, Jeanette's. <laughs> she told me, yeah. She told me while you're here, she wanted me to work with you a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> Pick up you. your I, game. I need a lot of help. <laughs> Jeanette's amazing. And your kids are beautiful. And keep up the great work. You're, you're actually running. You're running for election. So that's going to. Next year. Next, next year, that's going to be, be testing. The election you. cycle. And so we're governing now, but we'll be running that's next good. year. We've done it before. And so. This will be our second uh, four-year term. We'll be trying to convince the people of Utah that uh, we deserve another term. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, the state is doing well. We're grateful for that. It's it's certainly not me only. Uh, I have a role to play right. as the kind of the coach of the team, but it's the team. And it's the legislature. It's our local government officials. It's our educators. Our teachers are doing a phenomenal job. It's the business community. It's just good citizens of Utah. And uh, if we can work together as a team, who knows what we can accomplish over the next four years. I think it's be something pretty special. Well, it's fun to have you at the helm, too, and and to know that your family, how important that is. And keep up the great work, too, Mrs. Herbert, in family, Uplift Families. That's such a great thing. Thank you. You're changing lives. Well, again, we appreciate uh, Governor Gary and Mrs. Jeanette Herbert. We we feel blessed to have you. We're going to take a break, come back, and... uh, wrap up this show um man it's good to know that there's good people in in leadership positions and i think it's all over the country it's all over the world really we just need to understand the people around us a little bit better we'll take a break this is the matt townsend show hoping to help you find the good in the world stick with us we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting uh, interesting interview, huh? When you think about running a state, um, it's a big, big deal. And then <laughs> how do you get ahead, right? I mean, you're, I, the governor in Michigan is he's in some serious trouble. People are revolting. People are getting sick because of the decisions you make. So... You know, politics aside, there are people behind all of these different candidates, right? Donald Trump, there's there's people. And when we are choosing a candidate, you're choosing the whole deal. You're choosing the family. You're choosing the ethics, the, the morals. You're choosing the history, the insight, the understanding, the demeanor. You're choosing it all. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to replay that interview for you. Again, not it, it, every every state's I think got great governors, and we just had access to this one, Governor Herbert Herbert and his wife um, Jeanette. Hey, um, interesting other news going on around the country. When you think about it, um, you know, politics is going to be politics, and 
families are going to be beat up and, you know, thrown around, tossed around a little bit. But when when we get into the deep, deep side of this, there is a point where we all have a decision to make. And in Iowa, it's in about 12 days. So can I just suggest sincerely that you you look it through and 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 go deep. Don't just don't even just take the party line or your favorite, you know, uh your favorite talking heads, you know, word for it. Get in and study the candidates. Find out, go to their website, find out what really uh they say they believe in. Look deep into these questions. Because there's a lot of people, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, that are watching you, and um, and what you start to set up is going to create uh, a, probably a very, very long, long, long election cycle for a lot of people. Uh, to change topics on you, did you hear this crazy story? Um, you know, this, I, I guess, could just be some advice for anybody that gets pulled over. You really ought to... Be ready when you get pulled over. And Ben, and ben this is very much for you because someday you'll have a car, and I, I want you ready. Okay. You know what I mean? Does this equal – does this relate to uh, biking as well? Um, yeah. I, I guess if they – I guess they could card you. They could ask for your driver's license. But um, I don't know. It, it, it may not – May not apply. Take out the papers and so on December 21st, a Niceville, Florida police officer stopped a dark-colored Ford for erratic driving. The officer approached the driver and introduced himself. He asked the driver where he was coming from. The driver seemed confused. The officer then asked if the driver, uh, if he were aware that he'd actually thrown up on himself. He acted like he did not know that. He was surprised, like, what? What's that? And uh, anyway, he had made a mess. The officer uh, asked if the man had a driver's license and registration and proof of insurance. The driver then handed him a Ruby Tuesdays coupon, which uh, very nice, you know, give the cop a coupon day. Uh, and he said it was his driver's license. The officer then pointed out that that was not his driver's license, but a Ruby Tuesday coupon. Did you have a license? The driver brought out a piece of paper that was another Ruby Tuesdays coupon and um, asked, is this my driver's license right here? The officer again said, nope, it's not. And, uh, you know, waiting for several minutes and going through a variety of coupons and Kohl's cash and discount paraphernalia, all of a sudden he was uh, arrested for probably, I'm going to bet, Overindulging on Ruby Tuesday barbecue ribs. Um, anyway, sad. Folks, uh, Ruby Tuesday co- coupon, not a driver's license. Not, don't want to put you down. Don't want to, don't want to make you feel bad. This is the show where we give you the information you need. We're here to help. We're here to help. If you're going to get pulled over, have your driver's license, proof of ID right there. Have it handy. You don't need to delay the arrest process. Just, you know, don't want to be cynical. Don't want to make fun of people. But uh, don't ever try to get a coupon to pass those driver's license. Unless, of course, it's Cole's cash because that passes for everything. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show, giving you the tools, the information you need 
to uh, lead a healthier, happier life. Today we've been talking politics and coupons. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back next hour where we're going to get in deep into the idea of body language and what it communicates and uh, hopefully give you some skills to become a body language expert. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Today... Today is today's the day. Today's Penguin Day, apparently, like honoring Penguin Day. Didn't know we had a day like day. That uh, it's also my favorite day of the year. Believe it or not, Cheese Lovers Day. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. Mm-hmm. I I feel strongly that you can't have enough cheese. You can't. I mean, sure, sure. You can get sick. But cheese can also help you get better when you're sick. I think you're alone on that one. No, 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 no. If we took a poll and found out how many people, if you could have one thing on a deserted island, and I gave you one of two choices, would you have cheese or crackers? I'm going with cheese. Terry? Chime in. Tea, cheese, or crackers? Crackers would make you thirsty. I know. Then you're, you're a, dead. You're on a desert island, probably surrounded by seawater, because that's mm-hmm. really where the desert island is. Yeah. Well, so. cheese is also going to make you thirsty. Yeah, but a cheesy thirsty. It's different. Not a not a salty cracker thirsty. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Not like parched. It's different. It's different. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, and yeah. it's an island, so you can get coconuts, so you're fine. Right. So it doesn't is- matter if you have... No. Crackers or you can go either way. Okay. Have you ever tried to open a coconut though? You'd figure it out. <laughs> you'd, you'd have plenty of time. It takes a long time to open a coconut. There's also rocks around, so you can just suck on a rock. You can just crack the coconut oh. on the rock. Come on, man! You got to think. Have you seen but the movies? No, I, I, what it is, is I, would, I need on. more cheese. If I had cheese on board, then I could. I'd have the energy. The problem with that is the coconut has a husk, which is almost impossible to get off. You don't know that. Not when you're thirsty. I've, I've tried. You don't know this. He thinks because he, he lived in Hawaii. Yeah, I know. I know. I can get a coconut at the grocery store. It's fine. Right. And then you just drill a hole in it and right. put a straw Power in tools. It. That's how Duh. you do it. Duh. You just plug it in and go. Cheese Lover's Day today. By the way, in 1981, Iran hostage crisis ends. That's amazing. Yeah. That was. You probably don't remember that. I was two and a half, three years old, so. Do you remember it? No. <laughs> Though I have been, uh, like my parents always kind of mentioned that there was the controversy. Did they hold the uh, the uh, the hostages on the tarmac waiting for yeah. Reagan to take the oath of office? Right. And then they could cut to the video of the airplane taking off. That was it. Just to set up Reagan for a positive that's right. I think day. they really didn't like Carter. I think that was a that was the case. Yeah. But again, we just had hostages released. We did, and many of them don't want to go home. <laughs> That's true. One of them doesn't want to 
One's going to stay in Iran, right? And then there's many that were here that were supposed to go back to Iran, but they're staying because we offer so much. It's QVC. It, it's QVC. It's really you can sit at home. Why go go to Iran TV and not have stuff. QVC or stay in the U.S. and have QVC? Home Shopping Network. Have you heard about Gun TV? No. Yeah, it's going to be the first 24-hour all guns network. They'll just sell guns 24 hours. Oh, so it's a day. just really just it's gun. the QVC That's of like, guns. You used to love the Knife Network. The Knife Network is awesome. It's only on the weekends, and it's only really for ninjas. Mm, no, it's, okay, it's for people looking to buy mass quantities of knives and then go mass. to the swap meet and sell them for five dollars more than they bought them for. Okay, as they repeatedly tell you this on the show, and there's a how there's, to make money. There's with, a market for this. I don't know, but it's fun to watch a guy try to explain 100 knives in under two minutes. So now, so now there will be a whole network just to to sell guns. Yes. Will they like have Will they like have little exhibits and exhibitions? I don't know. How fun would that be? Could be. But the 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 key factor of the knife network that's fun is occasionally the hosts, while handling the knives, cut themselves. <laughs> They're on. If you go to YouTube and yeah. you can find the videos, but they're holding it. They're telling you about this awesome samurai sword and ow, and then they have to run off with a bloody rag because they just really hurt their hand. That is tragic. But hey. you you take that to the gun show, the gun network, mm-hmm. right? Are they going to have a, any any mishaps with yeah. loaded weapons or? You know I what, Ben and I have been working on this. Okay, so Ben, let's just say you cut yourself in the kitchen. What do you do to take care of the cut? Remember. Taze it. Oh. You tase it. Wow. Ben and I made a discovery yesterday. You can tase anything. Not cauterizing the... No. no? Well, t- tasing it would cauterize it. Okay. But I think it would create a more fun memory. If you tase it. hmm I think we could market this, actually. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, that's a great jingle. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden your kid skins his knee and he runs in... Taze it. Wow. <laughs> you could. I mean, a lot of moms like kiss the boo-boo. Yes, yes, yes. But if you're tired of kissing the boo-boo yeah. and your kids are like, Mom, I skinned my knee again. You know what you do? You just play this jingle. Taze it. <laughs> They'll never come in again. That kind of sneaks up on you. Isn't that scary? Yeah, you can't, you kind of get lulled into the sense of security from the jingle and then, boom, tase it. See, I think tasers have have taken kind of on a bad reputation. They're, they're kind of like people don't like them. They're like, it's like knives and guns. Yeah. But that would be, if there could be a whole show on tasers. There could be. There could be a taser network. It, the, this taser slices, it dices. Novelty tasers. Novelty tasers. You have a taser and has a bottle opener on the other end. Yeah. It's like a Swiss Army taser. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mommy, where's my Swiss Army taser? I got to take it to scout meeting. <laughs> Jimmy. Don't take the taser. They have phone cases you can buy that have a taser on the okay. other end of it. So this is a true story. Endless possibilities. My, you know those little pens that are trick pens that when you when you hit the button to to get the pen to open up it it elect, it shocks you. Okay. So my son took a pen like that. I don't know where he got it, but probably from his father. Okay. And he took it to school, and was passing it around to people that didn't know, and he ended up. Tasing some, basically electrocuting some, and he got kicked out of school. Oops! What did you say to that? You pat him on the head, say good boy. I was so mad. Hmm. We, I was ticked. 
after I laughed hysterically. <laughs> no, I didn't laugh. But it was like, you took that to school? Mm. That was our secret. Was you our don't thing. take that to show your friends at school. And we we were mad. And then we just had a really good lesson on conductivity. What not to? Of electricity. Okay. <laughs> and how you can't shock friends that don't know. Because that's like bullying. Is it? Or is it just funny? Well, it's hilarious. But it's okay. not hilarious if you're the one being shocked and if you're if you're being laughed at while if, you're if being If the shocked. person has a sense of humor? Then it's hilarious. Then it's funny. But and if they it, don't, then... Yeah. Eh. Well, or if it's somebody that like is a friend that's expecting it, like that can oh. handle it. But there's some people, like if you just take it to somebody that you don't even know, like the principal. Hey, principal, <laughs> can you sign my paper? He didn't do that, did he? Uh, oh, okay. But we did send him this jingle. Yeah. Taze it. <laughs> There's just that aftershock that I think is really powerful. Yeah. Great jingle. Absolutely. I think we're, we are going to be playing more jingles on the show. I promise you. Because Ben and I come up with a lot of fun ones. But they're only kind of between us. Okay. That doesn't really help anybody else right? out. It's so just... now we're going to turn them into more jingles. Okay. And then we can use them I, anytime. Full support. That 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 is a that is a quality jingle there. It's something that's going to get caught in our heads when yeah. we walk around the hallways. Remember, and then eventually there will be the Taser Shopping Network. Trust me, twenty four hours, 24, all your Taser needs, twenty four seven. All right, let's get to the headlines. Anything else going on around the world we need to worry about? There are. Thanks, Matt. Officials reviewing emails sent and received by Hillary Clinton during her time as Secretary of State have found the material of a higher level of classification than top secret. According to the New York Times, it is forbidden for classified information to be shared outside the government uh, computer servers. Clinton has fallen under scrutiny for using a personal server while in office. The news was revealed in a letter dated last Thursday dating, uh, saying, stating that some information in Clinton's emails is top secret SAP, which refers to special access programs. Such, sp- such special access programs are often intelligence gathering operations by the Pentagon and the CIA. This is the same interagency dispute that has been playing out for months, and it does not change the fact that these emails were not classified at the time they mm. were sent or received, says a spokesperson from the Clinton campaign. Right. This is, this is getting weird because you, no matter what happens, you don't tick off the CIA. No. Or its inspector. Apparently not. Because in the end, they know the secrets. Or they know what could be perceived as not good for your campaign. Yes. So in a weird way, it's almost like it's starting. she's starting to push on the intelligence agencies. Yeah. They're starting to wonder. We'll see what happens. This she, is scary. She's saying that when she did it, it wasn't secret, and then now it's been reclassified, and they're trying to retroactively go back and punish right. her for that. And Okay, one, just one I thing out again. There's thousands of them now, but these are more secretive. Yes. And that's a weird name to call. I mean, you think top secret would be like the most secret. Yeah. Why don't you call the really secret stuff top secret? Super, super, super secret. Super secret. But um, it seems like no matter what, none of this stuff should have been no. just on her server in her bathroom. Absolutely not. Even even if it wasn't top secret at the time it, and then it was classified later, then that just shows you none of this should have been in your house. Right? That's just probably have, what it comes you know down what I mean? to. It's like having a nuclear warhead. Yeah. Hey. In Grandma's bed downstairs. <laughs> hey, Grandma, how'd the nuclear warhead get here? I don't know. Hmm. Moving on, Sarah Palin, the former Alaska governor and 2008 GOP vice presidential candidate, has officially endorsed businessman Donald Trump 
and his 2016 bid for the White House. Ready for someone who will secure our borders to secure our jobs and to secure our homes. Ready to make America great again. Are you ready to stump for Trump? I'm here to support the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Oh, come on. Yeah. (laughs) She was kind of, there was her voice. There was points where she was just kind of unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like. She's what it is. It's enthusiasm. She's that excited. That's fantastic. And her son got in trouble, I guess, while she was gone. There was some domestic. She'll have to go uh, home and figure that out. Uh, Palin's endorsement is a blow to Ted Cruz, who was trying to tie up a gather a Tea Party and anti-establishment votes in mm. Iowa, and she's kind of that person. And he lost that vote. He says, "Oh, it's fine. I love Sarah Palin. She's a nice person." Yeah. So this is getting crazy. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder apologized to Flint residents Tuesday for the water crisis that has left the city of nearly 100,000 people exposed to lead poisoning. He said, "I am sorry, and I will fix it." He is uh, asking for, he's promising to seek $28 million in state funds to provide the city with more bottled water, health care, and improvements to the infrastructure. Early Tuesday, President Obama met with Flint Mayor Karen Weaver while the Environmental Protection Agency criticized officials for not acting soon enough to address the crisis. Hmm. The water, it's, apparently they've attempted to clean things up, but it still hasn't really remedied yeah. the problem. The Coast Guard said it has suspended a massive search for 12 Marines who have been missing since two helicopters crashed off Hawaii over the weekend. The search for survivors was called off Tuesday after nearly five days of around-the-clock searching involving multiple agencies. And uh, so late was it late Thursday when a civilian on a beach reported seeing the helicopters, the two helicopters flying, crash into each other uh. at night. And so they've been searching since then, but they've called that off. And they'll they'll keep looking, but they're not doing it in the uh, the same uh, situ- the tragic. same level they have. Um, this is interesting. Starting today, you probably could have seen this driving in if you knew it was there. For the first time in more than a decade, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter will all be visible to the naked eye all at the same time. Wow. Jason Kendall of the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York told the New York Times in order to get the best view from the northern hemisphere, people should get up 45 minutes before sunrise and look to the east. The five planets will be visible before sunrise from January 20th through February 20th. I'm going to look. I'm already up. And they're just lined right up in the eastern sky. That's cool. Yeah. And you go, hey, look, there's a bunch of dots. Hey, look at those (laughs) far off dots. That's cool. Good stuff. Good news, folks. See? Life is good. Life is good. Uh, you know, the planet, the planets are lining up for all of us. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by Vanessa Van Edwards, who is an expert in body language. And she's going to be talking about, you know, some of the keys, the tools about recognizing and understanding what people are, are communicating through their body language, it's uh, it'll impact your game. It'll improve your ability to get better results with other people. It'll you know improve your results. That's that's something we all need. Remember the great quote: "You cannot not communicate." Well, our next guest will explain why. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking with a body language expert up next, right here on BYU Radio. Grammar. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Weird Al Yankovic for you. Word crimes. You know what? Communication's a tough deal, and yet there's so much going on with the body that might help you cut through what people are saying. For example, just notice, check your posture right now. Are you sitting or standing straight up? Are you standing with your arms crossed protectively or open with a relaxed posture? Our body language can communicate a lot to our neighbors, sometimes without realizing what we're saying. We say quite a lot. And for the last eight years, our next guest, Vanessa Van Edwards, and the Science of People have developed and presented on a program that coaches uh, people on body language. She joins us now from Los Angeles to walk us through some of the great learnings that she teaches. Vanessa, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. And so you're, if people are interested, they go to your website, scienceofpeople.com, and talk to us, Vanessa, about body language. I mean, there's one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Paul Watzlawick that uh, was a communication kind of guru, and he said, um, one cannot not communicate, right? We're always communicating, yeah. and that's what, you're, that's what you profess. The body is constantly saying stuff. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about body language is we talk about nonverbal and it, it kind of leaks out, right? We have not only our facial expressions, but also how we hold our body and then micro messages. And micro messages are very small messages that we send and decode from others. And we cannot help but send and read those messages. Right. I mean, and, and, and you even say we're reading them naturally no matter what, even if it's like subconscious. Yeah, and, and, and we know this intuitively. You know, if you talk to um, a woman and she says, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I just felt like those women didn't like me, mm-hmm. right? You know, that, that's, that's something you hear said a lot. And there is something to the nonverbal of those micro-messages. We have people who avert their eyes, people who slightly angle their body away. Even um, we found by looking at toe behavior, this sounds crazy, but yeah. go with me for a minute, So our brain loves to move towards things that we like. So, for example, if you're in an office party, one of my favorite things to do is to go to office parties and try to guess who has a crush on who. Hmm. The best way to do this is to walk into an office party and just look at the direction of feet. And the reason is because we typically orient our feet towards either the boss or the person that we are most attracted to. And we can't even help that. Our brain likes to move us or orient us towards that person that we are most interested in. Hmm. And so all kinds of non-verbal messages come out that we are very, very, um, that it's kind of under our awareness. That is so interesting. No wonder bosses <laughs> think everybody, that's, that's right. That's why the boss thinks everybody loves him. Because... Exactly. They're getting the micro messages. Or if you secretly don't like your boss, you have to be really careful because that's what, what we're talking about here when we're, when we're looking at nonverbal is something called decoding and something called encoding. Decoding is, I think, a little bit more fun, right? You're picking up little cues. You're looking for hidden messages. You're picking apart subtle things to try to figure out their meaning. Whereas encoding is when we have an idea that we are trying to portray through our body language. So when you secretly don't like someone or don't like your boss, what happens is your brain gets very confused for encoding. Your brain wants to show, you know, I like you, right? You want to show respect right. for the boss. But the other part of your brain, the little, the sneaky part of your brain goes, 
but I really don't like you. And so you end up sending very confused messages, and that is often picked up on by the other person. And so you have to be very careful to make sure that you're – I think that's where authenticity comes in. You hear that word all the time? Yeah. Um, I think authenticity is when you align your nonverbal with your thoughts. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, you're you're in you're incongruity. You're, I mean, you're congruous. You're finally aligned. Exactly, and I, that is the goal. I think that when we're talking about when you're thinking about going on a date or going into a business meeting or talking to your kids, your number one goal is actually not let me encode the right messages. Your number one goal is how can I get in the right mind space to align my nonverbal correctly. And and there's a there's a real science to this. I mean, it seems like. This used to be harder to validate or to prove, but with as we're improving in our ability to do certain, um, you know, certain studies, now we can figure out really what people are meaning to do. So, t- tell us some more of the science behind this. Sure. Um, so you're right. We kind of used to guess, right? We used to sort of look at things and say, "Hmm, that feels suspicious." I bet that means anger. Um, the real body language research, academically, um, started after the first presidential debate between Nixon and Kennedy. It was a very interesting time in our history. I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching some old clips. What was interesting about that time period is it was the first presidential debate where about half the population listened to the debate on the radio and about half the population watched the debate on television. And what happened is, is everyone who watched the debate was sure that Kennedy won. Now, Mm. Kennedy, a little bit of background, he was tan and Really, he had been prepped, he had practiced, he was nice and relaxed, whereas Nixon had just been released from the hospital from a knee injury, and he was underweight, he was feeling sick, um, he was sweating profusely, and so everyone who listened to the debate was sure that Nixon won. And it was the first time in U.S. history where we had this discrepancy, and that was when academic institutions started paying attention to nonverbal. They were thinking, you know, maybe there's something to this this body language communication. So from that point on, we have the first set of robust studies looking at what are the patterns? How do we communicate across cultures and how can we learn those patterns to leverage? That's, I mean, and everyone remembers the sweating. (laughs) That is, and then all of a sudden it got into a bunch of other stuff. Presidents can't cry, right? And like, in in fact, that became a big deal just a few uh, weeks ago or a week or so ago when, Mm -hmm. when President Obama was crying. But and, and I think even Mitt Romney struggled with being able to convince to feel comfortable in certain situations. And so people maybe saw that incongruent behavior between body language and in his, his goals. Um, how how do we how do we learn all of these? I mean, is it possible and is it possible maybe to get so caught up in the technique of body language mm-hmm. that we ourselves become less effective? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I think that what can happen sometimes, and we have a lot of trouble when we teach body language because of that exact reason. If you are trying to figure out the technique or learn cue by cue, right? Like um, we're talking about presidents because this is a, a big year for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's on our website. I, I also write for the Huffington Post. We critique a lot of the presidents in the media. And they, you know, if you want to run as a presidential candidate, there is presidential body language. Um, you'll notice. If you watch old, old videos of President Obama, he used to point when he spoke. He would make his emphasis and he would point with his index finger. Um, That is not considered presidential body language. So he was coached out of that, and now he uses 
um, that light thumb, that like kind of light fist, you know, if you yeah. put your thumb on top of it. Yeah. And he makes that point. And he was coached to do that. That is because in our brains as, as Americans, we are taught that as a presidential thing to do. They also have a presidential, uh, when we're talking about vocal variety, um, body language and nonverbal, I also count vocal variety, how we express our opinions and our confidence through vocal through our vocal cords. And so they're also coached to have that booming presidential um, uh, way of speaking. You know, Obama will has been coached as well as he's honed his natural way of speaking so that he says he, he talks in, in kind of a rhythm so that you hear you hear that rhythm and he goes fast with that rhythm. And that's the same rhythm that we hear um, when uh, President George W. Bush, he even though he had an accent, even though he had a totally different accent than Obama, he also had a kind of rhythm that he spoke with. And that is because that is a U.S. presidential rhythm. Now, back to your question, can you learn that? What Obama, both President Obama and President George W. Bush did, is they took a a seed of what was already natural to them, right? Like George W. Bush was not coached out of his accent. Right. Obama was not coached out of his speaking style. But they did dial it up or dial it down. I think that's the key, is if you take what naturally comes to you, so, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, how are you sitting right now? So however you're sitting or standing right now as you're listening, um, the small, minute adjustment, if I could make any adjustment, it would be to just slowly roll your shoulders down and back, whether you're sitting or standing or your arms are crossed or not. Just that gesture tends to indicate higher confidence people watching and it also produces more testosterone for you. So it's small adjustments that actually it's like a golf swing, right? You make a very small micro adjustment and it has a huge effect on your game. So this is really about recognizing maybe more your style first and foremost, and then taking and kind of take take a seed of what you do already, good and bad, and either dial down the, the negative thing you do and or dial up the positive thing you do. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it this way, so think about for a second your first impression. This is right when you first meet someone. What is the first word that you want to pop into their head when they meet you? Is it confident, intelligent, witty, powerful, whatever that word is? How can you portray that word? How can you dial up or dial down? I I think that it's it's really great to think about our ideal first impression because our first impression is a huge part of um, our uh, overall nonverbal. That's so true, isn't it? And we we don't ever kind of anticipate that. We don't think that through. So instead, we might just go with, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. And then you come off tired. Or or worse, you say, oh, I'm tired. I really don't want to go to this, but I'm going to force myself to go because I should make an appearance. (laughs) And you show up and you're trying to hide your tiredness. Not only are you coming across as a little tired, but you're also coming across as fake. Fake tired doesn't want to be there. How are you, no, Jim? Exactly. Yeah, it's like that'll just kill you. Oh, exactly. this, this is fascinating. Good stuff. Uh, let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Vanessa Van Edwards from the website scienceofpeople.com. You can go check out a lot of her, her, her website, her great uh, information there. I mean, really, when you think about this, uh, this is not this – is, this is you being human. This is you figuring out how to impact and, and portray you, you, your brand, who you are. So stick with us, folks. We'll continue the lesson on body language. More with Vanessa Van Edwards after the break. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know what? Whether you mean to or not, your body is constantly telling the real truth. It's telling the story to everyone around you. You know, your attention, uh, your eye contact, your handshake. And uh, joining us is Vanessa Van Edwards um, from the website scienceofpeople.com. She is um, an expert in body language and is walking us through some of the tricks, the keys to uh, your body language, what we need to kind of know and uh, and pay attention to when it comes to our body language and the language of others. Vanessa, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. This is this is super good stuff. And again, I don't think you can't know enough about this stuff. But like you're saying, we don't need to do it to, to like go try to be all techniquey with people. We instead we just need to. We just need to pay attention to it and to maybe adapt our behavior to be more healthy. Exactly. Yes. I think it's absolutely one of those things that we can conquer uh, law by law. There's those body language laws, and you can learn them. And I liken it to watching the world in HD. When I first started learning body language, all these things that I've been seeing my whole life, I just never noticed. Hmm. That's so true, huh? You're just used to standard def, and now you're in high def, which gives you a lot, a lot of information. How? What percentage of our communication is actually coming from our body language? It's a great question. So that's very hard to pinpoint. There's a number of studies that say it's around sixty percent. Now there are some studies that have found that body language is up to ninety three percent, and um, that's only typically in like romantic situations, right? Where, for example, if a man and woman walk into a bar and a woman across the bar raises her eyebrows at him, you know, that's solely almost 100% nonverbal interaction. The man knows exactly what she wants. Um, So there's certain situations, but I would say in average day-to-day life, we're talking about 60% of our communication is our body, our face, and our voice tone. And the rest, the 40% is our words. Hmm. I mean, and no matter what, like you say, it adds more information and all of us could certainly use more information. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is we typically put all of our eggs in the verbal basket, right? We go through school or we go into a job interview or a meeting with a boss and we're thinking about what we want to say. We're preparing a great answer, the words, we're bulleting out what we want to make sure we get across. So we think about what we say, but we never think about how we want to say it. And that's like showing up with 40% of your ability. Hmm. Yeah. And and yet, and how many times have we known something was wrong with somebody and nothing's been said? Mm-hmm. And yet, and then and then we say, what's wrong? I, some, you seem like something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. We know. <laughs> and so just tuning into people would certainly, certainly help with that. Um, is there, and I guess like you were saying, a lot of this is just innate. We just kind of, we know something's something's wrong, but then you, you talk about there's certain, there's just certain rules, there's certain laws or principles. What are some of the principles we should be paying attention to? Yeah, so um, most of body language is innate, not all of it. Um, there are definitely cultural differences. Um, usually the cultural differences, by the way, come around haptics, which is the science word for touch. So some cultures, touch is more acceptable than others. You know, in Europe, you double cheek kiss when you say hello, whereas here that would be a little much. Mm. Um, in certain Asian cultures, there's very little touch. In fact, you might bow instead of shaking hands. So haptics is one that's, that's different um, across cultures. But some of the laws that I think we can universally understand um, is I actually would love to teach you the concept of the micro-expression. Yes. So a micro-expression is a very brief 
involuntary facial expression that we all make when we feel an intense emotion. And this was discovered by researcher Dr. Paul Ekman. And we used to believe that facial expressions were learned, that babies were born, looked at their mother or father's face, and mirrored it or copied it. And that's how they learned facial expressions. What Dr. Paul Ekman found is that congenitally blind children, children who have been blind since birth, make the same facial expressions at the same time as seeing children. Now, that says something pretty crazy, that somehow our facial expressions are coded, that we know when we're a baby, whether we're taught or not, that when we're angry, we should pull our eyebrows down and press our lips together, and that means anger. Or when we're sad, that we pull our mouth down into a frown and we droop our lids. Somehow our bodies know this, and Hmm. that means that we can study it. So what I would love to teach you is there are seven universal micro-expressions that you can learn, um, but there's one that I think is the most powerful, and it's the expression of contempt. And it's also very simple. Contempt, hatred, disdain, pessimism, is simply demonstrated by a one-sided mouth raise. So as you're listening right now, if you just want to lift up one corner of your mouth, either side, that is a smirk. A smirk is the universal sign mm. of derision or contempt. Do you feel it? Do you yeah, feel totally. That like, yeah. Don't do it too long. Don't do it too long. Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> that's because funny thing. That's what all my people around me at the in my radio show that they all give me that look. <laughs> and now I know what it means. Now you know. Now I'm you so know. lonely. But it, it's, isn't that interesting? A smirk. Yep. That I mean, you and, get that from your teenage kid when you tell him to take the garbage out. And what I think that contempt, the reason why it's important is because it's the one emotion that doesn't go away. And what I mean by that is that happiness, sadness, anger, those are kind of bursts of emotions, right? You feel you feel a burst of happiness and then it kind of fades away into your day. Or you feel a burst of anger at that guy who cut you off, lasts for a few minutes and it goes away. Contempt is this very interesting emotion because when you feel contempt, it typically tends to fester. It kind of takes hold. And we know this because there was a a research study that was done by Dr. John Gottman. And Mm -hmm. Dr. John Gottman is a marriage and family counselor up in Seattle. And he wanted to know if there were any patterns of couples that would get divorced. And so he did one of the largest research experiments on marriage. And he brought hundreds of couples into his lab and he tested them on everything he could think of. Personality tests, IQ tests, he interviewed them, he tested their chemistry, he interviewed their kids, he filmed them and watched them on tape. And then he followed them for 30 years, a huge amount of time. At the end of the 30 years, he looked at the couples that stayed together and the couples that had gotten divorced. And he found there was one pattern. The couples who had gotten divorced in their initial intake interview, one of them showed contempt towards the other, just that one-sided smirk. He can now watch a silent video of a couple and tell you with 93.6% accuracy if that couple will get divorced within 30 years. Wow. That's yeah. You don't hear that kind of number. And so no. When you see contempt, all I say, all, my, my whole goal for this interview is if you see contempt on someone's face, just find out the cause, right? Okay, if it's traffic, no problem. That's not you. But if it's something that you can change or address, don't let it fester. Because mm, it is. It's a sign. It's the death sign. It's the death <laughs> nail. It, and, it, and it's, it's real, though. Sign. And you can see it. There's some people that might just have it against you. you may, they just might be out yeah. for you. And you don't even know why. But um, so you're saying when you see that, use that as a cue to get in deeper and to maybe get more verbal feedback on that issue. 
Yeah, it, it's it's that red flag. It's actually a warning sign that you can you can take the right steps to make sure that it's not taking hold. Do you, when you see the sign? I mean, to me, when I teach reflective listening and communication skills, when I see that somebody's happy. I suggest you reflect that happiness. Hey, you seem happy or you seem down. You seem sad. If I see the smirk, what do I say? Uh, Well, that is the best advice. Reflecting happiness is the absolute best advice. And I would give the same advice for any other emotion. So I'm very transparent when I read people's faces. You know, my my poor friends, my husband, they they get this all the time (laughs) where I, I will say, you know, you seem upset. You know, is everything okay? You know, you seem angry. Is everything okay? Usually, when you do that, you're actually telling them, I am truly trying to understand you. I'm not pretending. I'm not forcing my my opinion on you. Um, So when you use that, you actually name and tame. So they say, wow, this person's actually trying to pay attention. And if you're wrong, they will then correct you, which is exactly what you want. Right. So, you know, you're, you're talking to your wife and you see a little contempt. You say, you know, is everything okay? You seem a little upset. And she can say, you know, I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. Great. Now you have more information. Right. Now you have more to go by. So I think that always calling out what you see is an honest way to interact, and it's also showing that you're listening. I love that. And it's, I mean, so that's really one of the advantages of body language is it's the, it's the early sign, and then you can go deeper on it. You can hit it and go deeper. I think it's, it's the unlock. It, it helps you unlock. Yeah. It gives you that those early signs so you can then use verbal, which is where we really get the deep communication. What what uh, what are just quickly, what are some of the other micro expressions? Oh sure. So you know, I mentioned anger. I mean if you want to try this with me, you can. Um, so if you if you pull your eyebrows down and together so that the two vertical lines appear in the mirror. Um, so pull your eyebrows down as far as they'll go, like scrunch them together, and then harden your lips and then harden your lower lids as if you're, like, suspicious. Mm. That face is anger. And if you hold it, by the way, you will begin to feel irritable. Yeah. Um, right? It's a very weird thing. It's called the facial feedback hypothesis. Um, women who have Botoxed different parts of their face to be numb yeah. actually don't feel that emotion as strongly. So our facial expressions are a very important part of our emotion. So what you're looking for for anger, if you see that, is you're looking on the other person for those two vertical lines. If you see those two vertical lines or you see someone's lids, lower lids harden at you, that typically means that they're suspicious, they're irritable, they're angry, and you want to make sure you nip that in the bud right away so you know it's not uh, going towards you. <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. And it's interesting, too, huh, that you you know, these you shouldn't be practicing, but it's a great way to connect the that to your feeling system, right? So now all of a sudden I can feel the emotion of it, and I can now think of dozens of places I've been angry. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's great about microexpressions is let's say that you're, you're later today, you're talking to someone, you see them make a, a kind of odd facial expression, you don't remember what it is, or you're not sure what it is. Uh, try to mirror it. When you mirror it and you tap into how you feel, that's a very, very good indicator of how they feel. And this, what we're talking about here is something quite deep, which is this is why we have empathy, right? right. If we can feel literally as the other person feels, what a beautiful way to interact because you're, you're literally tapping into who they are. And by the way, I have all the micro expressions up on my website for free. So if you want to play around with it, you can, but you don't have to memorize them. You can also just tap into how you feel. Oh, I love that. And then, yeah, the mirroring neurons that we have anyway, we're going to, this is what makes us uniquely human, but we could even become 
I guess, more skilled at it by like going to your website and, and practicing, looking through these things. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Mirroring neurons are what help us with this. Mirror neurons and our facial expressions and our body language is this nice loop of empathy. It's the empathy loop, right? Yeah. Where you see someone, you see a friend, you think they're upset, you begin to copy their sadness micro-expression, you feel sad, and you say, my gosh, I am so, so sorry. Is there anything I can do? And you truly feel that with them. I think that is the greatest gift we can give to our fellow humans. Oh, totally. As we, as we uh, close this out, Vanessa, what would you say is the one thing? The one thing, um, that empathy loop, I guess, is one thing. But what, what would you say for those of us that want to really you know, get a quick read on somebody? What's the one thing that makes the biggest difference to pay attention to? I would say um, cleaning space. So a very quick, if, if you have a really kind of snap thing you have to learn, looking at how much physical space someone is taking up with their body is a very, very good indicator of how worthy they feel to be there. And this works with us, this works with others. So if you look at someone, and again, their shoulders are rolled in, their arms are tightly pinned to their sides, their legs are, are quite stiff and pinned together. Typically, that is an indicator of low confidence. They don't feel as worthy being there. And if you want to make them feel comfortable, the best thing you can do is make them feel welcome. On the opposite end, you see someone and they're sprawled out, right? They, they're claiming chairs, their arms are draped over things, their <laughs> legs are spread out. You know that you have a nice alpha, right? You have someone who feels really good about being there. And the same thing happens for you. The more space you claim, the more confidence you give off, the more confident you feel. Yeah, oh, I love that. That is so true, isn't it? I see that with clients. You can just see I had a teenage girl in my office recently and you she couldn't she was a shrinking violet. You couldn't get her to be smaller in the room. Um yeah, because she didn't feel worthy. Attention. Yeah, you can pay attention to what you say that brings them out. Yeah. Right? If all of a sudden you bring up their their sport or their hobby and they kind of perk up. You just made them feel worthy mm. in some way. Love it. Love it. Well, we appreciate your great work, uh, Vanessa Van Edwards. And again, the website is the science or uh, www.scienceofpeople.com. Great activities, videos you can go watch. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Wow. And two, the, isn't it interesting how your face, all you got to do is practice it, right? Do a facial expression. Then all of a sudden you're feeling the feelings of that expression. Interesting stuff, folks. Um, it's good to be human, right? And to a lot of this that you do kind of naturally, what would happen if you just practiced it, picked up your skill set a little bit? That'd be powerful as well. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Come back and we'll wrap up this second hour of the show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You cannot not communicate. It's coming out. If people would just pay attention, how many people around you are communicating pain or, uh, you know, feedback that if you could just hone in, maybe watch, you might be able to at least comment on it. Man, you seem you seem a little distant. What's going on? And tell me this this couldn't help in a lot of situations in our lives. There's so many things that go on. Um, we just got to pay attention. 
how far could we get with our family, our kids, if we, instead of just treating them as if, you know, well, he's my son. What's he going to do, leave me? I'm a good father. But what if I actually noticed when he was down? And not even, because I think kids can even fake it, right? They might just go to their room to be down because they don't want you hounding them. But they also might communicate on the way on the way to their room something that might help you understand. This is one I need to follow up on. It's interesting as I work with clients, many parents uh, are very attuned to their children. Others aren't so much. Some maybe even are a little over anxious about the data they're getting from their child. And, and sometimes they blow it up and embellish it. But one of the great skills we could teach all of our children and just, I think, even each other is when someone's down, let's just notice it and say, you seem down. And invite them to share what they're feeling. Simply having an invitation to share your voice is really important. I've been in meetings. I've been in a meeting uh, with Stephen Covey once where um, I was kind of keeping my mouth shut about something that was going on. And he noticed it, and he actually said, Matt, you seem quiet. What, what's your take on this? And I shared, and, I, and it was heard. But it never would have gotten out there if Stephen Covey, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, hadn't taken Habit 5 into account and sought first to understand before he sought to be understood. So Communication 101 is first seeking to understand. And as Vanessa was teaching, the body language is going to be cues, really relevant cues that something is going on. It's it's only data, but behind the data, you need explanation. You need more, uh, you know, descriptive information about what sign you're seeing. But the the other cool thing about our, our facial expressions and our body um, language is we are meant as human beings to be communicators. You, you're go- your body's going to communicate. And pretty much universally, when someone's sad, you're going to universally recognize it. When someone's scared or stimulated or afraid, you're going to recognize it. It's universal. The, the facial expression for fear is universal. It's in every culture, which means it's meant to be understood and to be very deeply understood by people. So we just got to hone in on it, right? Pay attention to it. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back. More tools, more ideas next hour on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Man, we've had a great uh, couple hours of shows already. For heaven's sakes. And one more. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking in just a few minutes about uh, the organized mind. Do you feel like there's just too much information coming at you that now you're not organized? It's going everywhere. You know, it's drinking from a fire hose 
Well, if you feel that way, stick with us. In a minute, Dan, Dr. Dan Levitin will be joining us, and he'll be talking about his book, The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload, which, uh, you know, we go through a ton of information every day. I don't know how you do it. I just, you have to know when to just stop. Yeah. And move away. My, uh, I, I use a program called a feed reader. Ooh. There was a program called Google Reader. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was my favorite. Taken thing away. Ever. Right. I use one now called Feedly. Feedly, yep. And it doesn't really do the same thing that, that Google did. Google Reader had a counter in the corner that would tell you how many unread website links mm. are ready for you to go look at. And mine would top out and go to however many. It was just insane how many were on there. I tried to get my wife to use it for some of the websites she wanted to follow. And she had this thing that she'd look up and see there was like 50. So she'd have to go look at them. It was like it was her inbox and she had to go clear them out. Oh, yeah. And so it started becoming this stress thing. And then she's like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot look at this. It's going to drive me nuts. There's all this, this information here that you're not consuming. Yeah, And she felt like some need that she had to go in and look at it. And I go, she goes, how do you deal with it? And I go, I just look at it when I want to and then stop. Yeah, and then, and People then, have a similar problem with Twitter or Facebook because yeah. you have this feed that's constantly giving you more. And they feel like they have to be and in there it, yeah. and look at it. They have some obligation. And it never – yeah, it never ends. I use Flip – what's it called? Flip, flip book? Yeah. And then I read it and anything I like, I just send to Evernote. Mm-hmm. And then I have files and, and access for the producers to go grab those articles and look up that's, stuff. That's kind of how we, we send information within the show to the different people so we can get guests on yeah. and move ideas forward. But it's it's confusing. and it's. But you could sit there all day on Flipbook. Oh, yeah. And sit there going through trying to find more and, and information. just flipping. In fact, one time I actually pulled the ligaments in my thumb because I was flipping so much. Uh, I, that, I was flipping out. In fact, by the way, Ben, what do we do? What do we do when we have pulled the ligaments in our thumb? Taste it. Ow. So I tased it. You taste it. That's our new jingle, the tase it jingle. You're really proud of that jingle. I am. I feel like I feel like tasers have gotten a bad name, bad reputation. Okay. Do you have some sort of controlling stock interest in the taser company? Is that why this is As a matter of fact, I do. Okay. I just, I just bought the stock's been dropping lately. As all stocks have So I this thought, morning. hey, the stock is low, so I'm going to go buy it. And I bought tens of millions of dollars in Tasers R Us. Have you okay. heard of them? Yeah. Great company. It's a good brand. And then the next thing you know, the whole bottom fell out of the market. Hmm. And now I'm upside down. So we're trying to market Tasers. <laughs> I'm doing okay. It. Hey. I'm doing it. Just a little, little side job. By the way, stocks fell 400 points this morning. Man. 250 to start the day, 400 so far, so... Good start to the day. Oh, boy. Horrible start to the year. You know, stock yeah, this is like the drop. worst start for the stock market in history of bad. all time. Adam, Eve, they never had it this bad. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I it's, don't know if it goes that far back. But. I don't know how old the stock market is. Hey, um, so we'll be talking with Dr. Dan Levitin. And did you hear uh, Los Angeles Rams, apparently their stadium's on its way? In three years or whatever. Yeah. It'll be quite a while. It, I, I saw some pictures. The LA Times took pictures. They go, here's the home of the Los Angeles Rams, and it's a dirt field. The most, Nothing the world's, there. listen to this, Los Angeles to build the most world's most expensive stadium complex. Which. Because there's a shopping center, yeah. there's a mall, there's movie theaters. And it's connected to Disney. Yeah. 
somehow. It's actually at the Hollywood Park racetrack, which is near Disney there. And it will be the world's and the league's largest in square footage. Two teams will be sharing it. Maybe the Chargers. I think I don't know if the Chargers have officially committed, they, but yeah. they've been given permission if they want to go. And they, I guess they've acquired the name, the, the L.A. Chargers. Chargers. Yeah, the copyright on that now. Yeah. And the L.A. Rams will be back. but And they're officially moving. But it, this thing's going to cost like $1.9 billion. Yes. And here's the rub. Because the folks in St. Louis are still on the hook. I heard for like 150 mil. Yeah, there's some bond that they put out for on, that, on the, the stadium, stadium, the football stadium there. And now they don't yeah. have a team. No, they're teamless. And those buildings are really specifically built for football. Yeah, and if you're not in, for example, Louisiana, you can't use it for disaster relief. No, if you <laughs> don't have hurricanes, it's not a shelter. Yeah. <sighs> so. St. Louis folks, they've got to be pretty miffed. They're $150 million in the hole and have an empty building, and the Rams go to L.A. to get a new building, I guess, that will be paid by the folks in L.A. Or something. And all the sponsors. and Yeah. The NFL's kicking in some money. The teams are kicking in money. Wow. It, it's This is going to be bigger, I guess, than even uh, the new San Francisco stadium Yes. And the Cowboys. So you know, if you just look at those teams, Cowboys, San Francisco, you know the stadium matters to the quality of play on the field, right? Because last year, not a higher quality no. than coming out of San Fran and right. Dallas. That was horrible, horrible huh? teams. Anyway. So difficulties all around. Okay. Uh, let's get to the news. Anything going on in the news? There is. Uh, at an event hosted by the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association Tuesday, Donald Trump called for the Environmental Protection Agency to follow the ethanol volumes set by Congress in 2007 and to increase the volume of ethanol mixed into the nation's gas supply. So, talking to corn producers, in Iowa. Trump is for more ethanol. Hmm. That's called politics and a caucus in, what, 12 days, 11 right. days now? right. So he's, he's trying to get the votes. The go, the governor of Iowa came out for Trump, came out against uh, Cruz, saying he's financed by big oil. That was crazy. Like, he, he just full-on said, don't vote for Cruz. He says it would, something to the fact it would be a disaster if Ted Cruz was put into office. We, can, we have to stop wow. this. Donald Trump's the guy. Here's Ted Cruz reacting to that clip six there. It is no surprise uh, that the establishment is in full panic mode. Uh, we said from the beginning that the Washington cartel uh, was going to panic more and more as conservatives unite behind our campaign. The governor of Iowa is part of the Washington cartel. Full panic mode. Just we're going to follow that line yeah. of thinking there. You know what Donald needs is another. He needs someone else to like get behind his campaign. Right, like a Sarah Palin? Yeah. Is she doing that? She is. Wow. And he also says there will be a place for her in his administration. Yeah. I don't know where. Don't ask. But I'm pretty sure it'll have a view of Russia. A recent Gallup survey out Wednesday asked Americans, suppose Donald Trump was elected president in 2016. In your view, what would be the best or most positive thing about a Donald Trump presidency? More than four in ten Americans couldn't think of anything positive at all. Among Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents, the sentiment was even stronger, 54% saying there could be nothing good about Trump. When it came to naming the negative specifically, voters were split on what exactly would be the worst or most negative thing about Trump being president 
though they were much more forthcoming in naming the negatives than the positives. Mm. Uh, most cited his person, personality and mannerisms, 12% saying he's too outspoken, impulsive, does not think before he speaks, 9% noting he lacks experience and his arrogance. Hmm. Nobody mentioned hair. No. Okay. Re- Republicans, more in favor, as you would possibly yeah. imagine there from that polling data. So people are split, yeah. as we know. Uh, record gun, uh, the onslaught of background checks from new gun buyers has forced the FBI to halt the processing of appeals from those whose attempts have been denied. The last several months, we've kind of found ourselves in a perfect storm, FBI Assistant Director Stephen Morris said a record 3.3 million firearm sales were processed in December. According to the FBI records, the number of background checks has risen in each of the last six months. The background check system is officially jammed. So we have – yeah, so there's a log jam on the background check, which maybe says the more you talk about it, the more it doesn't solve the problem. And then some uh, possibly important but – Maybe useless. I don't know. Dr. Curtis Cooper of the University of Central Missouri has discovered the largest known prime number at 22 million digits long. That's an entire 5 million digits longer than the largest previously known prime number. Whew. Prime numbers are numbers that are only divisible by themselves and one, such as 2, 3, 5, 7. Well, can you really ever have enough prime the, numbers? The newly found number is found by taking 2 multiplied by itself uh, seventy-four million two hundred seven two hundred eighty or two hundred seven thousand two hundred eighty-one times. So seventy-four million times. Who cares? Prime me, me, numbers. Me, 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 me. Prime numbers. <laughs> ah, prime numbers. Back in math class. Uh, prime numbers. What? Yeah, I'm not as into prime numbers as I used to be. I like my even numbers, mm-hmm. but prime, prime rib. Mm, that's a different story. Yeah. Well, okay, man. See, giving you the information you need, folks, help you change your life. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Daniel J. Levitin, uh, who's the author of the book, The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. If you feel inundated with emails and text messages, all of this information, stick with us. We'll be uh, giving you some insight into how to manage the overload. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we live in an era where we are being constantly battered by loads and loads of data. And at the same time, we're expected to make more and more decisions about our lives than ever before. So how can we manage this massive flood of information? Dr. Daniel J. Levitin is a professor of psychology and behavioral science at McGill University. And he's uh, here on the phone with us to talk about his book, The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. Welcome, Dr. Levitin. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back. You bet. So great to have you. And this book, uh, I, I love this topic with you because, to me, I am I am overwhelmed with information. A lot of that's just getting ready for the show. But then all of a sudden, the emails, the text messages, and the back and forth that goes on, it, the information age is really turning into kind of the exhaustion age for me. It is, and I think many of us feel after just a couple hours of work, we're more tired than we ever were before. Uh, We feel at the end of the day we've gotten less done, 
And there's a neurological basis for this. We are being bombarded with more information than ever before, and it's exceeding our capacity to deal with it. Ugh. And and you're, you're studying this why, Dr. Levitin. Why have you chosen, of all the things you could go focus on, why are you choosing you know information overload? Well, I think like many people, I feel like I have less time. In the last few years, I felt like I have less time for myself and my family and my loved ones, less time to pursue leisure activities. And I was trying to sort out where the time goes. And um, I just began looking at this about five or six years ago and realized a lot of the time is spent spinning our wheels or the little wheels in our heads spinning around and around and not getting anything done. <laughs> um, and as a cognitive neuroscientist, I had some of the tools available to me uh, to look at it in a more scientific way. What, what are you noticing in your research? Um, I mean, we're feeling the impact of it, but I, I'm assuming the data is manifesting. It's, is it harmful? Is, it, is all this information, is it harmful or is it just just, you know, innocuous? Well, Matt, I don't think the information itself is, har- is harmful. Of course, I think information is, is neutral, but it's how we deal with it or fail to deal with it that can cause trouble. For example, um, if we keep plugging away at our work and we don't take regular breaks or, you know, refreshers, refreshers naps, uh, exercise, uh, we're going to allow cortisol to build up in our brains, the stress hormone, And that causes cloudy thinking, and it leads to other things like suppression of the immune system, which is why people who are frazzled seem to get sick more often Hmm. uh, and make poorer decisions. And I think the other problem that's worth talking about is that it's not just an age of information, Matt. It's an age of misinformation. Oh, yeah. Go on about that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, as you know, you go out to the web uh, oh. to try and find information, and you're just as likely to encounter something that's false as true, and it can be very difficult to tell them apart. Uh, misinformation disguises itself as information. Pseudo-facts look like facts. Pseudoscience looks like science. There was a funny case in the last election cycle a few years ago where uh, Alex Sink, who was a congressional candidate in Florida, had a website to collect money, of course, from her supporters. Well, her opponent set up a website that looked almost identical, and the website was called Alex Sink for Congress, and all the money that people donated to what they thought was Alex Sink went to the opponent. Oh, my heavens. That's, that's unethical. That's horrible. I mean, they eventually got it shut down, but, you know, there was a lot of money. Yeah, no, and we've even had on the show where we've talked about um, advertisers that make an article like that looks like a journalist article, but really it's an ad. Right. I, I hate those. Oh, I do, I do too. And, I, I mean, you and I know the difference, and of course, you're sophisticated listeners of the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, you've got a lot of people who don't know the difference who are being exploited. Oh, yeah. Earlier in the show, we talked about the fact that 10% of the population, according to a CNN poll, I guess, think that Judge Judy's on the Supreme Court. So I'm not so sure what I what our listeners know anymore. Well, the, and, and Judge Judy may think that herself. That's exactly right. <laughs> she probably does, doesn't she? So so here we sit with this with the kind of the influx of information. But your book is called The Organized Mind, um, and and so you can you're trying to teach us, I guess, how to structure and organize our own mind to handle this data. Right. I think that um, 
part of the trick to handling the onslaught is to, and, and part of the trick to being productive and happy in life is to understand what our own limitations are. Um, we're fallible. We're going to make mistakes. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. And then, you know, take, take the time to put systems in place to minimize the, the bad effects right. if something goes wrong. Well, what are some systems that you'd suggest? Well, one thing that I'm a big fan of is writing down everything that you have to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and writing it on paper seems to be better than putting it on a computer. And that's because it engages deeper cognitive processing when you write things out longhand than when you type them. Oh, really? So what do you mean by that? Like, I guess your mind can get wrapped around it longer? That's exactly right. So um, the, the, the process of writing by hand uses different neural structures, as you might imagine, than, than typing, and it ingrains the information deeper. Hmm. So that's, that's one thing. Write down things, and then have, having written down everything that's in your head, prioritize them so that when you sit down at your computer to work or when you go out uh, skiing or you're socializing, you know that that's the most important thing you could be doing, and you find you're less distracted. Yeah, especially in the age of distraction, if you've really only maybe got one shot to do one thing important at a time, um, because you're going to be interrupted in five minutes, it would be really good to know what that one thing is. Well, right. And I think, I think increasingly uh, productive and successful people are more explicitly determining what they want to do when. It's, it's, it's not a matter of becoming inflexible. Actually, if you do this, it gives you a feeling of increased spontaneity because, as you say, you know what you're going to do when and, right. and what's the most important thing. Isn't it true, um, and I bet you found it in your research, that if, if I do get interrupted, it, that interruption isn't just for the time of the interruption. It will take me so many minutes just to get back on task and then in the task and then to the depth that I was at before I was interrupted. Yeah, and, and it's worse for men than women, it turns out. Of course. <laughs> it always is, Daniel. <laughs> women can, uh, this is, we call this task switching. Uh, and there's a particular part of the brain that is involved in doing the switching from one task to another. Um, if you put your finger on the top of your head, right around the middle, there's a structure about an inch below the surface called the insula that we have been uh, studying in my lab. And that appears to be responsible for allowing you to switch from one task to another. Women can switch tasks uh, much more rapidly than men, uh, meaning that if you interrupt a man in the middle of something, it's going to take him longer to get back on track than if you interrupt a woman. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. Does it, is there a connection? Um, I, I've seen in my own office that there's, there's more men and, or boys with like attention deficit disorder, ADHD, than women. I'm sorry, what did you just say? I, I, see, there you go, Dan. <laughs> but is that true? Is that uh, men, more men are impacted by ADHD? That seems to be the case. Um, it's hard to say because ADHD, ADD are, are yeah. really overdiagnosed these days. Yeah. So it's hard to know what's what with that. But I think, I think you're right. Interesting. So task switching is different for men and women. Um, what, else, what else are some other, uh, some other skills or, or tools that we can use to make sure we're organizing our mind? We're in charge of this. I think so. I think one, you know, yes. I think one thing is being explicit about what you're going to work on, so that you decide your priorities rather than letting the environment do it for you. Don't just simply respond to the latest email that came in or the newest text. Mm. 
you know, write it all down, figure out what you need to do, organize it. It doesn't take that long to do it, but once you do, you're in control. Um, another thing that's important is to take breaks. Yeah, why uh, is that? I mean, I get it. I get that I need a break, but the break seems like a distraction to me. Yeah, so um, neuroscientists didn't know this until just a few years ago, but there are two primary modes of attention. One is when you're really engaged in a project or a task. It could be work or leisure. It, it, it could be social. You know, you're with somebody, you're engaged with them, you're not distracted, you're focused. We call that the central executive mode of attention. And there's another mode we call the daydreaming mode, and you know that one. That's I live that one every day, yeah. Right. <laughs> your mind is wandering, you're staring out the window. Um, and... The central executive burns up glucose. That's the fuel uh, that neurons need to keep going, to keep the cylinders pumping. Uh, so when you're working, of course, making decisions, um, uh, getting through whatever it is you're doing, uh, you're using up glucose. And at some point, the glucose becomes depleted, and you become tired and uh, distractible. And taking a proper break just for 15 minutes restores that glucose and effectively mm. hits a reset button in your brain. That's great. Now, so the break just resets you. It, it sugars you back up. Yeah. Now, the, the break can't be like, you know, surfing the web. It has to be a, a break that puts you in the mind-wandering mode. So, you know, activities like listening to music, reading literature, uh, exercise, immersing yourself in nature, looking at art, listening to music. Huh. And it, that's interesting because we wouldn't think that. How How long before we need a break? Is there like a guideline? You know, everybody's different. So men and women are different. Old people are different than young people. Um, but as a rule of thumb, every couple hours. Yeah. And I guess you're, you would know because if you're starting to, you know, to drift, if you're not able to stay focused, then it's a sign. I would say that every time you feel that need for an extra cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> or an extra cup of tea. Go yeah. instead take a break. Yeah. That's great. And so because uh, I've always found I, – if I didn't know it was glucose, but my body would just crave a Twinkie right then. Yeah. Well, so there, there are a lot of ways to get glucose, and eating sugar is probably not the best. Of okay, it. darn it. But the, it's always <laughs> the, the case. Is, any food you eat, your body is smart enough to figure out how to turn it into glucose for the brain. Right. So, yeah, leave it to the body, huh? And, yeah, and, and, pay, and like you're saying, pay attention to the body. Yeah, the body has a brain of its own. <laughs> That's so good to know. <laughs> Any other tricks of the trade that uh, are in that great book of yours? Because really, when we this isn't this shouldn't be new science, but we're just barely figuring some of this stuff out. Yeah, no, no, no more tricks in, in a, the four hundred page book. There were only two tricks an hour. Man, that is a lot of extra data <laughs> that you're giving us. Give us one more thing that if if you like Dan for you, what's the one thing? The, the, when you were going through your book and everything you're learning, what's the one thing that stands out as your biggest aha? Um, I think the biggest aha was to realize that I could use my calendar more effectively hmm. than I had been. And so now, uh, and I got this tip from the uh, president of AT&T. So um, the example he gave was if he's got a, um, a doctor's appointment, he comes back from the doctor, and the doctor says, I want to see you again in six months, and here's a lab requisition, get some work done. So, of course, the appointment goes in the calendar six months from now. 
But then he, he adds some additional calendar entries. So he's got to get lab work done. He finds out how long the lab needs to process the results so they'll be in the doctor's office by the time he gets there. Hmm. Maybe they say 10 days. So he puts another note in his calendar that he's got to go to the lab you know, within a certain window of time. And then he calls the lab and finds out uh, how many in advance he can make an appointment to see them. So now there are three calendar entries, right? In October, he's got to call the lab to make an appointment for two weeks hence. And he's got, uh, he's got to then go to the appointment, and then that's all to set up the doctor's appointment. If he's got a report to write, he figures out who else he needs information from and then makes calendar entries to ask them for the information so that they have enough time to prepare it to give it to him enough time in advance of when he'll need it. Mm. Yeah. And so so then really, and if you kind of do this all at once, then then your calendar will be will be prompting you as you go. Yeah. And these days, you know, if you can configure the calendar on your computer to synchronize with the one on your phone. And it helps to guide you about what's important and what's not. Now, you don't have to do it right when the calendar entry pops up, but right. it helps you to organize your time better. Well, and again, using technology to actually organize your mind. Yes. Then you don't have to remember everything. Just and using your mind to organize the technology. Isn't it's that nice wild? It's a, it's a, it is. It's a loop. Well, we appreciate you. This is, uh, I think, uh, I really think it's essential to all of us, or we're going to get swept away in and, and just with a disorganized mind, it seems like we're just going to keep creating chaos for ourselves. Dr. Daniel J. Levitson, thank you so much for, for helping us and, uh, and for being here and for writing the book, The Organized Mind. My pleasure. Appreciate you. Good stuff, man. Whoa. We've got to get our game on, folks. Um, think about the marketers. They know what to do to get you to pay attention. Your friends, your neighbors, your kids, uh, everyone is out there pushing ideas. And if you're not organized you seriously might be swept away in that tsunami. Go get the book, The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload, or you can just go to daniellevitin.com and uh, find out more about Dr. Uh, Levitin's great work. Um, fun stuff, interesting stuff there at the, the uh, McGill University. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, really, you are inundated, aren't you? Today we're talking about handling the flow of information and uh, slowing it down if you can. In our preparation for this show, there's there's really, I don't know, 30, 40 articles that, we, that we're prepping on per show. Or per day, so those are those are articles. Those are just stories we need to know about the news we need to keep up on, and and it's it's just full on, pretty overwhelming. Um, but also, it I'm not so worried. I mean, most of you don't have to put a radio show together for three hours, but what I worry more about is what we do to each other. I mean, if you've ever just been on. Uh, you know, a, a message board with a bunch of with five or six other of your friends trying to get a date or a time to go to dinner together. It's it really is 
it's exhausting because you're going to be interrupted 50 times from all of your friends and it's going to slow you down. So we might be able to help each other. And that's one of the things I wanted to just talk about in this little coach's corner, give you eight rules to healthier online living. And if I could just make it so every, all the people in my life aren't making it harder for me, that's a great start. Uh, but it also, you know, I could also make sure that I'm not on every, you know, automatic emailing list that I have junk mail that goes to a junk mail file. Um, there's there's little tricks of, of the technology trade to get through it. So here we go. Here are eight different rules that you can teach your, your family, your kids to live online without harming your offline world. Number one, remember to use tech to live life, not to avoid it. Many of us spend the majority of our time on our technology, uh, you know, caught up in it, kind of riding the wave, surfing the wave of all this information. But we also need to know when to turn it off. Um, Last night was the first night I actually had eight hours of sleep in a really long time because of this early morning schedule for this show. And it happened because I said, "Okay, I'm going to bed, kissed everyone goodbye, said goodnight, all that. And my wife said, why don't you give me your phone? And then that way you won't go in there and watch watch any shows or just surf. And I'm like, ugh, really? And I handed her my phone. At 9 o'clock last night, I handed my wife my phone. I set my alarms for this morning, and she promised to just plug it in right by my bed. And so when she went to bed, she plugged it in. Bada boom, bada bing, got up and had eight hours of sleep. And it feels fantastic. We need to learn to use our tech to live life, not avoid it. Um, Master all the apps you can with time management. We just heard some great examples from Dan Levitin. Use your time management planner, your productivity devices to help you. To make notes, get a really good note section or a really good task section where you just hit your button and say, Siri, take take a note. Um, interesting stuff. Another mem- remembering uh, or number rule is to remember to help not hurt others through technology. Don't make critical comments of others via text or email or chat. Don't get sucked into those, you know, those um, those chat messages where you're beating somebody down because they're from a different school and you don't like you know, there's a major rivalry. Don't get caught up into that. Focus on being positive as you're online so that so that when your you know when your text or your information comes through to me on Facebook on my feed that I don't have to deal with your negativity please make it easier for all of us by being more positive keep private things private i don't want to i don't want to hear about private things i don't want to hear about private fights i don't want your pictures to get out there i don't want to see any of that stuff always put safety first is another rule and with your kids, you got to teach them that uh, keep their passwords to themselves. Don't give out information about where you live, especially people you don't know. Don't get online and and uh, and tell about your private and your personal matters. Another rule is don't bully others. You know, don't you don't have to tell us about the great party you're having with your friends that other people weren't invited to. Don't pretend to be someone else online. Don't ever play that game. People have committed suicide because of that type of bullying and uh, and that behavior. And some of that behavior came from adults. Remember that online you should be a leader, not just a follower. You can lead people out by reposting more positive things, remembering uh, 
more positive statements and making more positive statements online. Show respect to other people through your technology. Build them up. When you see something's going on, we just had my mother-in-law pass away, and it's amazing the messages that we're getting and how that has strengthened our family. Um, So use your technology to show respect. And then another rule just for all of us is to slow the flow. Actively delete stuff. Take it off. You don't have to unsubscribe. I mean, you can't unsubscribe from lists. You don't have to keep receiving messages that don't serve you. Call something spam if it's spam. Get your name off of certain lists. Don't sign up for certain lists. Use technology breaks consistently throughout the day. Have a break every day. Have a break every month. Have a break every year where you actually go on a fast where we're not going to – we're not going to do it. We're not going to be online. Some very basic rules for you. And um, if you want more information about those rules, you can go to my website, matttownsend.com. matttownsend.com will be posting the list of eight rules to healthier online living there. And um, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting our very good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. We're going to uh, send it down now to two of the biggest tigers in the world. Spencer and Jerem down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What's good? Roar. <laughs> Roar. Do you like this music? Absolutely. Am I pumping you, you up? like the Rocky soundtrack? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm pumping you right up. I'm trying to change your, I'm trying so to get fun. your mood. I'm trying to you know, set the tone in your so, heart. So pumped. Jerem tries to save his energy until exactly 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Does he? And then, then he just unleashes it like the yes. Kraken. The older I get, the more this becomes a real thing. Not with BYU Sports Nation, but like when I'm doing play-by-play, mm-hmm. and I know from 7 to potentially 9.30 I oh. need to have high energy. Yeah. I take a nap now. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I well, need I need lots the of people, lots nourishment of... and the strength to sure. do me the good that I need. You know, that, that reminds me of a prayer. That's great. I was waiting for Spencer to bust out the prayer. <laughs> the prayer. Hey, um, I've got some good news for you guys. What's up? Please share. Uh, do you guys know what, the, the, what CES, Consumer Electronics Show, is? No. In Vegas? It's the biggest yeah. show yeah. of all time. I mean, like, that's where all the technology is released. We said- we send peeps down every yeah. year to scope it out, and well, so, sometimes we come back with new gadgets. Well, I got a gadget for you that I, I seriously want to buy you, boys. What's up? It is the Intelligent Toilet. What does it do? It's, okay. It self-cleans with every flush. That's awesome. You only need to clean it. I want this for my two-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. It's only it's about 9800 bucks. $9,800 for a piece of porcelain. Uh-huh. But here's the deal. You only clean it once a year. So for you guys and for frat fraternity boys, this is the perfect toilet. Did you just put us in that category? <laughs> yeah, I did. 
I just did for fun. That don't exist um, at BYU in theory. Super exciting. Uh, listen to this. Once it flushes, it sprays the interior of the bowl with electrolyzed water. Electrolyzed water. That, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. <laughs> yeah, no. And um, and anyway, and that then that then protects the it cleans the toilet. Now here's another thing, another invention that I wanted to just pitch to you, and I want your I want your serious opinion. We on the show, the Matt Townsend show, we feel like tasers have been getting a bad a bad reputation. Okay. So I've combined with a company called Tasers R Us, and we are putting together a good a new pitch to to pitch that tasers can do more than just bring down a criminal. Like if you have if you have back knee, or if you have anything going like a zit or something that you want to take care of, you just can tase it. So here's the jingle we put together, and I want your I want your gut reaction. Tase it. Doesn't sound like you uh, put a lot of time into that. What do you what? <laughs> you like that? So like let, let's say hey hey mom I spilled my milk I spilled my milk and it's all over the table. Taze it. <laughs> Isn't this great? You're like a Sith Lord back there, no. like with lightning or something. No. What's going on? It's just the it's taze it. It's taze it. Hey, hey mom, my hair won't dry. Taze it. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? It's a fix all. Hey, Don't... it's it's a start. Don't you think I'll be rich? There's no dumb ideas, just dumb people with ideas. <laughs> you guys are going to be so jealous because when I hit when I hit payday on this thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get you guys something special. Here's my idea along those lines. What? A diaper called Poopsies. Hmm. Explain. Like oopsies. Oh, but oh, but call yeah. it Poopsies. Yeah, you call the name of the product is Poopsies. Oh, it could okay. be for old people, little kids, whatever. <laughs> well, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to want to wear a diaper, A, but B. Kickstarter. But then they have. It's like it competes with Depends. Wow. But see, or, Depends sound dependable. Yes. And yours just sounds like gross. Like, hey, there's an accident. This will help you clean it up. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a diaper. It's just a unique take on that. Yeah. Kickstarter. Go to my Kickstarter. I think it's got more kidding. kick than starter. <laughs> It comes with gunpowder. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's just all I got. I mean, I'll get you the toilet for sure, but you know, I might get you some tasers from Tasers R Us. What uh, what what are you guys doing on your show? You're still doing it, right? Oh, you might not today. You know how we thought that the Big Twelve conversation oh, ended? Oh, I heard the, this. Uh, yeah, with the vote going in favor of the Big Twelve being able to hold a conference championship there game despite only having no ten teams. <laughs> Seriously, there is no end. There's no I end. was confused. Like I was like, why is this still being discussed? And it's all because of Oklahoma's president, David Boren, saying, essentially, look, we're the big dog in the conference right now. We just went to the college football playoff. I want 12 teams. I want a, t- a conference network, and I want a conference championship game with 12 teams. And I want it now. Now! And if you won't, if you won't give it to me, we have other options. Whoa. So he's played that. Vicious rhetoric. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a doomsday thing for Bob Bowlesby because if Oklahoma, honestly, if Oklahoma left, that conference would be done. The conference would be done. We call it. 
night. It'd be crickets. Oh, it was, it's, It'd be so over. So he, he's – it's kind of like this threat, this – this. it's a mild threat right now. Mm-hmm. But he just – he put it out there right after the vote happened saying, Come hey, on. essentially expand or die to the Big 12. So there's there's a hope. So – He's been in BYU's corner, but now all, all of this conversation has created a, a, a situation where everyone's offering their opinion now on, well, if they expand, this is who they should add, and BYU's high maintenance, and it might not work out that way. And so now there's no guarantee that if they do expand, BYU will even be included in this. <sighs> yeah, so that's it's interesting. Well, it's going to be a question great. today is what would you be willing to give up? To get into a Power Five conference, there have been some uh, interesting responses. <laughs> oh, I can <laughs> only imagine. It, but you didn't ask who would you give up. No, what? What? Okay, that's different. What would you give up? Wow, <laughs> that's cool. a great topic. That's so. So you'll, you're going to hit that, and I'm going to bet behind that you'll lock and load like three other killer guests. We have Quincy Lewis on the show. Basketball. He's not related to football, but assistant basketball coach Quincy Lewis. Um, because basketball has two games this week. Jerem will be at both mm. in Los Angeles and in Malibu. Wow. Um, Roadshow. We're going to talk to him about figuring out what's going on with the BYU defense. Cool. That's a good show. That's a great show. And if you guys... Just, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's great. It, but if you need more, if you ever need more, just to like pick up your show a little bit... Taste it. Taste it. Taste it. Taste it. That sounds, yeah. Taste it. Uh, we've actually, that, you can't use taste it. Because that's. You can say taste it, but it's a Taysom Hill endorsed product. Like after he's at BYU. Not now. That would yeah, be that's, exa- that's a great T-A-Y-Z. idea. T-A-Y-Z. We'll have taste him. it. We'll have him be our spokesperson. Taysom. Taste it. Taste it. Taste it. T-A-Y-Z. See, this is, I'm glad I had you guys on for that. But th- those voice. things are all copyrighted, so you are not allowed to use them unless prior and written consent. They're not copyrighted yet. I no, they are. You. No, my attorneys have been working on it. You have multiple. Wow. Well, they're actually they're not attorneys. They're paralegals, but they're about to be. They're actually not even. Par- they're, they're almost. The they're business. almost paralegals. Yeah. But they their dads are attorneys, so that's helpful. Awesome. Hey guys, it's going to be a great show. Best of luck to you. Bob blah blog. Bob blah blog. Bob blah blog. Thank you. <laughs> Another another reference of to our, my favorite show of all time, Arrested Development. Oh man, it's awesome. Okay, Steve guys, Holt. Steve Holt. <laughs> oh come on! Have a great show, gentlemen. Knock him down. Oh my heavens! Good luck, guys. I don't know how they go do a show. That we've just distracted them. I know their producers are ticked. Oh, there they go, distracting the talent. I wonder if they call Spencer and Jerem talent on the show. Like on this show, I'm very adamant that we call me talent. To your face, yeah. To my face and to my back. You're calling me talent. That's so rude. That's so rude. Um, Here we go. A couple of other things. Just uh, a little heads up. Uh, As you know, we like to help everybody. We like to help. We're, we're very helpful. So just some advice for anybody out there that is a tear down or demolish a hospital. A kind, of, a kind little just suggestion. Make sure there are no doctors, 
or patients inside the building that you're about to demolish. Just make sure. Uh, a hospital... A hospital in central China was demolished by force this morning when doctors and patients were inside and nearly buried them alive. A bulldozer suddenly broke the wall of the hospital that damaged medical equipment and buried six bodies in the morgue. About 30 people in camouflage uniform rushed into the hospital at 920 with the bulldozer when many patients were still receiving radiological inspections, a press officer with the hospital said. They began demolishing the hospital building that is under a land eviction for government project to expand the road. The bulldozer worked for over 10 minutes, though, um, uh, and doctors tried to stop them. Over $606,000 worth of medical equipment was damaged. The hospital was soon covered with broken bricks, and negotiations started last year with the hospital on the relocation plan, but both sides failed to reach an agreement. And then one side pulled the old bulldozer trick. There is one way to fix that, though. Taze it. Ah, problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. Anyway, man, it's sad, isn't it? It's hard. I it's- hope it's not a conflict of interest that you're supporting this taser company on the show. Tasers are us? Yeah. Not at all. Okay. Not a conflict of interest. Just a great money-making opportunity. Hey, um, as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story so we can see the good in the world. Today's hero, uh, Corey Lewis, 14-year-old middle schooler from Lumberton, North Carolina. He saved 50 students during a bus crash. Listen to this story. It was an average December school day for Corey Lewis, who was riding the bus home like he did every day. But unlike every other day, Today, Corey would become a hero. The bus driver fell out of her chair, unconscious, and the ca- a car ran into the back of the bus. Corey says the bus blew through a stop sign and was headed towards a ditch and pine trees on the side of the road. The 14-year-old says he acted on instinct when he got up, off the ground, and hit the brake. Corey's actions were heroic, but he says he couldn't have done it without special training from his mom. Corey's mom has been a bus driver for 20 years and says that Corey helps her with security checks every morning. She never thought that training would come in handy until right now. Corey's mom says he is her little hero and is happy all of her lessons ended up being useful. School officials say the driver of the car and the bus driver are both okay, and thanks to Corey, no students were injured. Corey Lewis, my friend, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. 14 years old, but still smart enough to uh, you know, jump into action and service when you needed to and uh, saving the lives of 50 students from injury. I mean, that's a big, it's a big deal for such uh, a young man. Well, that's why we do the show, folks, to let you uh, see that there are good things in the world and hopefully help you see that uh, you are one of those good things. Remember, we can't do the show without you. So if you want, uh, we'll be back again tomorrow, uh, 9 Eastern time to noon stick with us on that you can also find our our uh, podcast if you go to byuradio.org or download the podcast app and you can get all of our shows 600 plus almost 700 shows by now awesome stuff that uh, you can pass around to those in your family and in need until tomorrow folks take care of each other watch each other's backs and uh, let's serve one another this is the the matt townsend show we'll be back tomorrow take care